Tim's kinda dumb. Let's help him get smart. It's time to teach Tim stuff. <laughs> hey, welcome to Time to Teach Tim. We got Liam Wolf in the house. You have a theme song on standby for yeah. every intro. You just press a button. Yeah. Oh. Dude, this I can is more do high crowd t- noise too if you want a thunderous applause. Oh, could I? Could we get? Could we get one? I think it's this one. Oh yeah, there we go. Woo! <laughs> yeah, this is this is sick. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I I really I I have nothing but good things to say about the Zoom Podtrack P4. Sponsor yeah. me. <laughs> get a sponsor. Get, get going. Get that money, baby. <laughs> So you're here today to teach us about the history of punk rock. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm going to attempt because right. <laughs> um, for those who are unaware, I, I am a degenerate like most other people. And so my favorite music genre is punk rock music. I had several topics I wanted to come in, with, <laughs> but um, seeing Richard Dweck make you rot your ears out with fucking Power Rangers lore made me want to put a gun in my mouth. Yeah. So I was like, you know what? Let's let's do something that other people would enjoy. <laughs> So I I spent about I want to say a week and a half doing notes for this podcast. You are by far the most prepared guest. I, I have, have a whiteboard in the corner if we need any sort of assistance. But um I I've been prepared. We have been preparing this day for like this is like Normandy right now. I feel like I'm going about to go storm the beaches. Yes, Winston Churchill will be stopping by. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> giving his blessing. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Um, so, wh- like, how did you get into punk rock? How did you start listening? Well, I used to be a metalhead. I used to when I was younger, and when I was uh, <laughs> a libertarian. Uh, I was, <laughs> we don't talk about the dark times. Uh, I I used to listen to a lot of heavy metal, and then. I think like around middle school, I found the Dead Kennedys. I found um, DK. I found the Ramones. I, I binged the hell out of Fresh Fruits, Rotting Vegetables. My eardrums are still ringing from Kill the Poor. That is like that song kicks <laughs> so much ass. I just tried to find more and more and more intense stuff. I used to. I also used to like download a bunch of shit from LimeWire back in the day. Uh, the the good old fashioned. Uh, Proto post uh, Napster piracy <laughs> pot platform LimeWire that gave you like more fucking worms in your computer than yeah, it did yeah. actual content. But um, yeah, no, I just started like listening to a bunch of that stuff. And then just sort of as I was getting older, by the time I hit high school, I started to realize like, n- no disrespect to my metalhead friends out there and people out there, but um, metalheads are cunts. Like oh, right. they are absolute <laughs> pieces of shit who like they pl- platform this idea of like oh yeah we're all inclusive you know it's all great but they parade around sexism and homophobia and the amount of times i was called queer just because i listened to def leppard is just enough <laughs> for me to be like you know what you guys are a bunch of dicks fuck yeah. you meanwhile so- death leopard's like the forefather of all the music they listen to oh yeah no meanwhile <laughs> meanwhile def leppard was like Oh my god, there's so much shit about Def Leppard. Like, did you know they had like this is just off topic, but um Def Leppard, this is why I hate glam metal. Fuck glam metal. All those bands were like uber pedophiles. Like they were the proto pop punk crew of the pop punk crew. So Yikes. like Def Leppard, for instance, <laughs> underneath their drum rig, they'd have like a pit. They'd call it the pit, and they'd lure like all the groupies down there. And right before sets and right after sets and even during sets, they'd go down there, fuck like a 16-year-old, come back up and do shit so like this is like (laughs) like they like 
Look, no one looks at it because it's glam metal. Because they're like, yeah, you know, it was all about the pussy. We didn't want to make music. Yeah. We just want to make. Yeah, yeah. All right, Vince Neil, go fuck yourself. Fuck Motley Crue. But, um, like, I, I got. I gotta say, that honestly sounds like the QAnon theory of glam metal. Oh, no, dude. It's. I mean, like, you listen to a lot of these guys. Like, you listen to. Um, listen to, like, Motley Crue. You listen to Poison. You listen to all these people. You ask them why they got into music. And almost all the time, they're like, yeah, we just wanted to get girls, man. Yeah, we just wanted babes. to get girls. We just, yeah, babes. bro. And I think, at least back in the 80s a lot of that was just like because also to like the groupie culture was a thing even in the 70s like david bowie was fucking 14 year olds led zeppelin notoriously like had <laughs> jimmy page had like a 16 year old on standby to fuck and he locked her in hotel rooms for months at times so metal and yikes. like yikesy <laughs> sex is kind of the thing and so I just sort of kind of got, like, disillusioned by the metal scene. Yeah. I was sort of frustrated with, like, because at the time, too, that was when, like, Screamo was becoming big. That's when, like, Emo Core and, like, your Suicide Silences and all the yeah, yeah. all the bands that were, like, screaming and shouting about how they hate their parents were coming out. And I was just like, this is, like, I don't, I don't appeal to this stuff. This isn't my thing. Yeah. And I sort of, like moved over more towards like I was still listening to Slipknot. I was still a Limb Biscuit head, don't get me wrong. <laughs> I'm Red Camp Army all the way. But um I was listening to like I was listening to like Dead Kennedys all the time. I was listening to early Black Flag a lot. I was listening to like old school adolescence, uh descendants, you know, offspring Green Day. I actually remember when I was like ten years old I got um my one of my first memories of like a good gift was I got Nimrod and American Idiot like as a joint gift uh -huh. and those were my first CDs I ever owned oh wow so like that started my collection into yeah. like music and stuff and it it it's it's a fun genre. It's a good genre, yeah. I think, overall. Yeah. Like there's not a lot of like yikesy areas. We'll talk about the the pop punk things later <laughs> maybe, but um it's mostly not yikesy. I will talk about the neo-nazi stuff. Yeah, we, it's mostly not yeah. yikesy, but it's it's yeah. a lot of it's about inclusivity and at least modern punk at yeah. the very least. Yeah. Like um back in the early days or at least like as we could probably get started with this, um the idea of like punk rock Rock was sort of just like extreme outward offensiveness. Yeah. Where yeah. like you had, I was doing the research for this, made me want to rot my brain out. And a lot of these people were saying like, yeah, no, like punk started with Jerry Lee Lewis in the fifties and like Chuck Berry doing the chicken coop dance. That's <laughs> punk rock. <laughs> Fuck that. Uh, punk arguably started back in the sixties, like in the mid or maybe a little bit early, but mid to late 60s. You had a few bands in particular um, coming out of like the hippie bands, the hippie culture. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the prominent bands out there, there was from New York, you had the Velvet Underground, which very much dealt with like the life in the gutters themes that you hear in a lot of other punk rock yeah. later on. A lot of stories about poverty, drug abuse, depression, etc. But also they had like such like an avant-garde tone to them. Yeah, very artsy. Very artsy, very crafty. Lou Even Reed. like Andy Warhol, I think, did like their first he was, album cover. He was the or? producer I think really? he, he he did a lot like he basically kind of made the Velvet Underground like 
his baby and so like that was his musical collaboration which is like one of the good things that wandy warhol did out of the (laughs) like three things that he did that was good (laughs) so um i fucking hate andy warhol but um out of those two there's there's velvet underground there's the mc5 which were a big band out of detroit michigan who their most prominent song was kick out the jams um it's the it's a great yeah. song. It kicks ass. You've probably heard of it. You probably heard of the intro, and that's where the sort of the punk rock energy came from. They got into a lot of heat because on the album release, the start of the thing would be "Kick out the jams, motherfucker!" Da-na-na-na. And this was when, like, you say "damn" and you get blacklisted yeah, from yeah. shows. So, like, having an album start be like, "Yeah, all right, kick out the jams, motherfucker." blew everyone's mind yeah, it's yeah. and it comes out with this raw punch you in the face energy they took like the the psychedelic flow of soul and they infused it with the hard rock that would later like come into yeah. play in the 70s more so and then the prominent one the probably the bigger name that that really influenced all of it was um the stooges iggy pop, iggy pop. yeah uh, another Michigan band. I don't know what the fuck's going on in Michigan that's making all these people go crazy. This is cold and upsetting. I mean, I guess, sure. But, like, yeah, they were very much the proto... Like, they were sort of what punk would be. Like, right. you'd have the... Like, he... Iggy Pop is, like, the ultimate punk rock front man. Yeah. I, I very much... I have a soft spot for Jella Biafra. We'll get to that later. And I always loved Henry Rollins. I, you know, I love me... You know, there's some good people and i've appreciated a few others by doing this research like joey ramone we'll get to him later but um iggy pop takes that energy that you get though the wild raucous insanity and he took that rock and roll mold and was like yeah let's just blow up the rules let's just say fuck it he would go on stage light himself on fire fucking throw fucking firecrackers at people take his dick out like he's nuts he was a fucking nutcase and it was like it was him it was I forget the other guys' names. They're the guitarist who would always wear like a Nazi outfit on stage. Pretty yikesy. Again, <laughs> you know, punk is usually great, but you know there's some yikesy parts. Uh, <laughs> we'll get to that. Um, he would wear this Nazi outfit, Iron Cross, and everything, and it was sort of like a giant fuck you to the system. Yeah, so those were just trying to be offensive. Yeah, trying yeah. to be offensive for the sake of being offensive, for the sake of like just getting that like yeah. raw energy out there. Yeah, and I think that kind of came like on the tails of the peace and love hippie. You know, like everything's every swing has a counter swing. And I think the oh love everybody, like and then you realize in that scene people are just as dark and dirty and depraved as anybody else. And then the punk kind of swing back with like, Hey, we're fucking human beings. We're all have like a shit side to us, so fuck you for thinking you're special or unique or better. We're going to show you what we are. Yeah, I think, um, well, yeah, pretty close. Um, A lot of the 60s nihilism and a lot of the 60s nihilism you get with a lot of those bands from that time, like the Velvet Underground Stooges, MC5, came out of this like energy of you had... You had the hippie culture who thought that they were going to solve the world by giving everybody a fucking flower and doing five tabs of acid while jerking each other off. They thought they were going to solve the world's (laughs) problems. And then 69 rolled around and you have Altamont, which is one of the... 
you want a story and a half, Altamont, get somebody on, get KP Burke or something, and just talk about Altamont. The Rolling Stones hiring the Hell's Angels to be uh, right, guards yeah. for a music festival. What could possibly go wrong? Nothing. Um, Charles Manson, you know, murdered, you know, the Charles Manson, Sharon Tate, LaBianca murders, huge deal. And then the death of Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Jim Morrison. So by the tail end of the 90s into the 70s, not the 90s, the 60s into the 70s, <laughs> tail end of the 60s into the 70s, like there's nothing to look forward to. There's yeah. nothing to look forward to. Yeah. And that's when the Stooges release. Mm. Their fucking seminal self-titled album with 1969, Now I Want to Be Your Dog, Seek It, like all the bangers. Yeah. Comes out of this like, fuck, there's nothing to look forward to. The world fucking sucks. This is this is the aftermath of the hippie generation. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. So going from the Stooges, uh, I don't really, like, I know a little bit. I, I'm trying to remember... The song, because it, it's such like a, it could sum up the Stooges perfectly. Uh, I'm not gonna remember. Now I, I want to be a dog. <laughs> what's it? It's something uh, like a nuclear bomb. Oh, seek and destroy. Seek and destroy. I'm a, yeah. a high powered. Na- uh, oh fucking right. <laughs> I'm a street walking kid with a heart full of napalm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there we go. There we go. Yeah, great it's, song. I love kicks that. Ass. Kicks ass. And I, this is just all proto punk. Yeah, <laughs> this yeah. This is like yeah. the first three guys because we got beyond that point. You get into the seventies. The nihilism starts to creep in. Um, we can jump a little bit over to the UK for a second. Um, terrible. <laughs> it is terrible <laughs> in the UK <laughs> at that moment. The Labour Party basically drug the economy to the fucking pits of hell this is way before thatcher even takes hold she's about to take hold around like 78 79 but um the labor party's fucking up everything there's racial tension all over the place everybody's just miserable and awful over in the united states it's not as bad but it's going to be by the time 77 rolls around and like the economy's in the shits new york is a hell pit so like nihilism is running rampant And this is where you get bands like the New York Dolls who take kind of like this swaggery, like um, Rolling Stones-esque, like elaborate, like, oh, yeah, we're we're cock rock guys. And then they speed it up to 11. They like dose it with a bit of speed and you get some fucking kick-ass tracks out of that. The New York Dolls end up becoming a major influence in UK punk. Because a lot of the UK bands end up idolizing the New York Dolls. They idolize Johnny Thunder, who was a heroin addict. Rest in peace, Johnny Thunder. Much love. But um, Johnny Thunder, one of the best guitarists in punk rock. Troubled man. Uh, <laughs> they, they, uh, they idolize the New York Dolls. They idolize Richard Hall and the, and the Voido... Richard Hell and the Voidoids? I got this in here somewhere. Uh, I think I said, yeah, Richard Hall and the Voidoids, um, who Richard Hall was one of the members of this band Television, who would later go on to make his own solo work. He wrote this song, Blank Generation, which would become a punk rock, like, anthem from, like, 77 to, like, 80. All right. So, like, the the New York scene started to influence the UK scene here. And this is all way before the Ramones even touch fucking bass. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like the Ramones kind of capitalize on the scene more than they really do anything to 
change it. Like they're they're more like a there is this opportunity for a somewhat mainstream abrasive punk rock band because punk had its its rumblings among yeah. like people like oh like uh you hear about this thing called punk rock huh? <laughs> and the Ramones are just like we'll be the fuck we'll be the poster child for it well, well even even then like when the Ramones got popularity punk wasn't even really a term it yeah. wasn't until the Sex Pistols took over when punk became kind of like an all-encompassing term and yeah. word. Um, the Ramones came in. We might as well get to this. Um, I'm just going to skip through a few of this. Um, the CBGB scene in New York yeah, is perfect. sort of where the Ramones... Because that's where like, the New York Dolls come out of, too. It's where the New York Dolls come out of. This is where Suicide comes out of, who's a proto-punk, like, no-wave art band. They're, they're kind of trippy. You should check them out. Um, Patti Smith, yeah. Horses, great poet. Uh, television, which is like proto-post-punk, <laughs> ostensibly. Yeah. Uh, you get the talking heads. You get Blondie. And then the Ramones come in, and uh, little known fun fact, everyone in that band is absolutely stupid. Like, they are <laughs> low IQ as shit. They come into this place, and everybody's going in, and they're going out, and they think that they're the shit performing these fast, crazy songs. And everyone in this scene's like, what the? Who are these imbeciles? <laughs> I've heard stories where, like, they go on stage, and they're all out of tune. <laughs> and they do like two songs, they scream, and then they're like, yeah, we're done. <laughs> Adios, man. Take yeah. care. There's so many there's so many stories of just them like eating shit or like in the middle of their set, Johnny Joey Ramone knocks over like Johnny's like guitar amp and like <laughs> there's like there's footage of them like yelling at each other during yeah. sets. People are like, What is this clown show shit? <laughs> because at the end of it everybody thought that they sucked. Yeah. And then somehow they go over to London and they inspire the Clash. They inspire the Sex Pistols. They inspire that whole entire UK scene, which is wild. (laughs) Because then they come back here and they're getting laughed at. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. So, like, punk rock, is with having the in-your-face, like, we don't care what you think mentality... Like you get a lot of people who are like, "Well, you don't take you seriously. I'm not gonna take you seriously." Oh, of course. And the the odd thing about it is, like being in like punk bands is like we take it very seriously. <laughs> like we try very hard to write those. It's not easy to write punk rock music. <laughs> if you need to write something catchy and fast, you need to be talented. Yeah. And that's what I think gets overlooked. Like, punk kind of gets written off sometimes. But let me tell you, writing a punk rock song is that's catchy, like Rockaway Beach, that's a really good song. It's hear, oh, yeah. it, hear it at any point in your in your day and not let it not get stuck in your head. Good luck. <laughs> You're just going to get rock, the chorus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there are some days I'm just I'm just putting stuff on the shelf at my job and I'm just humming like we're a happy family, we're a happy family, we're a happy family. <laughs> Me, mom and dad. <laughs> Sitting yeah, exactly. in Queens, eating their fried beans. It's so <laughs> simple that you just remember all the lyrics yeah. and you're like, fuck, okay, yeah. this is an earworm. Yeah. I love it. Yep. Which is great because they were trying. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. the funny part is that they were like, no, nah, this is some high art shit. We <laughs> don't care. We try really hard to make sure you know we don't care. <laughs> What's up, man? You know, 
And Joey Ramone had like this presence to him. Like everybody in that band had something going on. Like Tommy was like the brainchild. He was the guy who was like making the sound for them. He was the producer guy. He had the connections. Johnny Ramone was the de facto leader. Also a giant piece of shit. Fuck Johnny Ramone. Uh, yeah, you heard it here, folks. <laughs> it's a long story. He ends up like Joey Ramone, softy, young guy, kind of an introvert, had crippling OCD, but like somehow comes out and just like gives these welting like bowels of just like fucking pure fire energy. Yeah. And then Dee Dee Ramone, who was the main songwriter for everybody, guy like huffed glue till he was just brain damaged. <laughs> Poor fucking soul, but yeah. like the, the guy was like he knew how to write an earworm. He knew how to write these lyrics, you know, fifty third and third song about like hooking on the side, like selling your body for smack. That's really what Dee Dee did. He <laughs> sold his body for smack. That's a now I want to sniff some glue. Guess what? What Dee Dee was doing about fifty percent of the time that he was alive, he was he knew what the fuck he was writing about. Yeah. He was writing life in the gutter jams. It like a fast tempo way. Yeah. They all had like like a little bit of them built the band to have this energy and this aura that like you you don't really expect in a lot of things. Yeah. So. yeah. Which sucks because like I remember back in high school, like somebody came up to me and was like, Do you like the Ramones? I always thought they were fucking corny. I hated <laughs> them so much. <laughs> well, that's what's surprising, like about like older punk rock, a lot of it is like to today's standards, like, really corny. But I think that's a product of, like, what punk rock created more so than what it was. Oh, yeah. You know, because, like, I I mean, we're, I don't want to get into it, but, like, once, I feel like once punk rock made that turn to hardcore, then all of a sudden, like, beginning punk rock was like, ah, this stuff is kind of soft. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean like there there was there was still a lot of bands from like the seventies and the early eighties. They were they were way more artsy. They were way yeah. more like, you know, it's just we're gonna do our little thing. We're gonna be experimental, but we're gonna let this rage out and it's gonna be like this really artsy yeah. thing. Like you got bands like the Bags from LA who would take like a lot of like Chicano uh, culture and put it into their into their music. You got the Screamers, who did a lot of like really intense songs, but they also they didn't have a guitarist. They had two synthesizers and a drummer <laughs> and the lead singer. They had no guitarist, no bassist, and they fucking killed. They yeah. were awesome. And you had a lot of these bands. You had X. You had a lot of these LA bands. And then I guess it's just like the fusion of. Reagan taking over the just the hell maw of being in poverty. A lot of these suburban youth kids just came around, and you're like, "Fuck this boring shit." Yeah, like, let, like, like, give me that fast. Like, give me something that I feel inside. Yeah, yeah. And that's sort of where hardcore comes in. We'll get to more about hardcore a little bit yeah. later. Yeah. But <laughs> um, so the Ramones happen. CBGBs is blowing up. You get like Blondie coming out of there. Uh, Talking Heads, Television, um, you get a lot of bands. The Dead Boys, who, no fucking Dead Boys. Uh, <laughs> there's a bunch of bands. And it was all about, like, this this energy of, like, you're seeing the life around you. Because by the time they were getting big, 1977 rolled around. New York in 1977 is 
probably up until today the worst it's been in fucking years there were graffiti on the walls you couldn't walk like two blocks away from your house without either getting mugged or assaulted like gangs were running all over the place heroin was huge drugs were crazy like fucking prostitutes were just hanging around like it was a it was a degenerate's paradise yeah people like me would love it (laughs) but um you look around at this stuff and you just see all the trash and all the like pain and you're like fuck and then they just let it out somehow and that's how that punk energy from that cbgb's scene built into something larger and as you take the energy from new york and you move it over to the uk where by the late 70s thatcher's about to take control the conservatives are taking control they resent the youth they resent the working class the working class who are living in poverty and shit there there's no money to give to like normal public utilities the the garbage men for instance were on strike so they would just take the garbage, go over to like a cent- like a park and just throw garbage there. Yeah, so yeah. you're walking around and you just see like mountains of garbage months at a time. And it's like you look at this and you see the riots. And if you're living in Ireland and you're getting bombarded by British troops on a nightly basis with gunfire and tanks and all this shit, like there's no fucking hope in the UK. Yeah. This is around the time the IRA Right. IRA started to become a thing more or less in the 80s but like this is where it's starting Start, to become yeah, a thing yeah, yeah. yeah where it's more so like <laughs> Ireland's like fuck this bullshit after like <laughs> almost 100 years of being subjugated and being second class citizens are like fuck this bullshit but like it's it's a, like a lot of poverty a lot of strikes unfortunately a hell of a lot of racism <laughs> and um out of that came like just this nihilistic outlook on life. There's no hope. And here comes this guy, Malcolm McLaren, who was over in the United States. Malcolm McLaren ends up going back to the UK. He opens this shop called Sex. He's sort of like a fashionista guy, this guy, Malcolm McLaren. He used to have an old store. I forget the name of it, but it was like a mod store. Yeah. Like for the mod scene where people would show up and have like the fucking pompadour haircut and like, yeah. look at me, I'm a 50s guy in the 60s. Suit, skinny tie. Yeah. yeah. And then he came back over and he made this shop called Sex, which is a lot of like BDSM gear, a lot of torn T-shirts. And he took a lot of influence from the new UK scene. Not the UK, the US scene, the New York scene. And he said, you know what? We can fucking do this here. And so he found this band. I forget the name of them. They're, they're, it's the Sex Pistols. It's got to become the Sex Pistols. Yeah. But he found this like pub band, brought them on. They found John Lydon. They called. They were like, yo, you want to audition for this band? He's like, oh, fucking whatever. It's, like, no, it's not like I have any hope anyway. Yeah. They come in. Uh, they become the Sex Pistols. And they end up like taking over the music scene in the UK because then after they start doing their underground tours out comes The Clash with uh, Bernard Rhodes as their manager because here's the thing you're going to have this is the thing I want to clarify here too Um, a lot of people say like who started punk rock United States or the UK and genuinely speaking the United States did start the sound of punk rock and more so it was genuinely authentic in the United States UK scene, the thing people have to understand is that the two biggest bands, actually the three biggest bands, because I think the Damned also had a manager too, the three biggest bands in the UK punk scene were all made by managers. 
they were they were basically like proto K-pop groups. They were artificially <laughs> made things. Yeah. They weren't actually fucking like anything of worth as opposed to like the New York scene where it's like a bunch of guys from the Bowery who are walking out of a trash dumpster being like, "Yo, you want to play guitar tonight? Sure, whatever." Yeah. So, like I I feel like also like that's if you look at European music's roots, like even like the Beatles, like they were a constructed thing. Yeah. You know, like I, I feel like that's just, that might be like a product of their culture, like where there is the king, <laughs> quote unquote, and then the feudals, but I don't know oh, what yeah, to the call pe- The peasants. Yeah, as they yeah. Will. <laughs> he he controls them. And, and America's very like, well, if you want something done, you got to do it yourself, son. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Pull yourself by your bootstraps. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what if I don't have any bootstraps? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it is interesting that, because like, you always hear the Sex Pistols as like the people who started punk rock. But then like you hear like the stories like, no, really, it was, like you said, kind of. This New York scene. Yeah. It, the idea was taken. The, and then. Yeah. Like you wouldn't, you wouldn't have the Sex Pistols without the New York Dolls and the Ramones. Yeah. Like that's that's almost based on my research, my magazine length <laughs> research. Uh, it's fucking it's the truth. The yeah. proof is in the pudding. These yeah. bands were inspired by these New York bands. It's almost evident. But like they ended up becoming a huge thing. Uh, Johnny Rotten becomes like the face of like youth anarchy and just like fuck everybody, fuck yeah. this bullshit. They bring on Sid Vicious later after their previous bassist is like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. And John Lydon's like, you're a pussy, and they kick him out. <laughs> so they bring on Sid Vicious, who can't play a fucking lick of bass. <laughs> they bring him onto the band, and the band just like they get this notoriety way before, a little bit before Sid Vicious joins. They go on this TV show. They go on this late show. I have it here. They go on this late show. Um, I forget what the name of it is. I think it's like Tory Tonight with like Bill Dunnelly or some shit. I don't know the <laughs> host's name, but they come on the show and they're like, oh, here's the Sex Pistols. So what do you got to say? And they're just, they're swearing like a motherfucker. <laughs> the interview lasts 56 seconds. <laughs> it lasts 56 <laughs> seconds because like the guitarist for the band just goes, oh, you manky fucker. Fuck you. Just <laughs> says this, wearing like a tits t-shirt. Yeah. Susie Sue from Susie and the Banshees is like one of their groupies hanging out with them. Like it, that scene alone, that interview alone blew up the UK punk scene. Yeah. Because after that you get... You get the damned. You get um, bands like Susie and the Banshees. You get Joy Division coming into play. A lot of these post-punk bands that are starting to come out. You get uh, the adverts. You get alternative television. You get like a lot of these like excess bands that are coming out of this UK punk scene that are just like we're punk too, motherfucker. Fuck you, yeah. <laughs> who John Rotten will later say he resented every single one of them and said they all should have probably jumped off a fucking bridge. And <laughs> they're all posers. They're all, they're all posers. <laughs> the Sex Pistols were the only real fucking band. Everybody else was a fucking ripoff. That's... <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> you manky bastard. 
But yeah, he builds this scene. You get a bunch of these names coming out. Uh, more, more of the prominent names out of this uh, UK scene. You get Generation X, which is fronted by Billy Idol, yep. famed '80s hair rock god Billy Idol. <laughs> White red wedding. I will stand Billy Idol to this day. I don't care if he's a sellout. He's a king. Uh, you get Susie Sue, Susie and the Banshees, who we'll talk about later in Goth Rock. Um, Joy Division, post-punk icons. You get the the Damned, who are kind of like these, like, kind of proto-goth horror rock, but also just very much, like, just post-punky, like, art- aesthetically. They sort of, their first album started being, like, this edgy fuck you thing, and they were actually the first punk band to release a single. New Roses is the first punk rock single, I believe. Oh. So, yeah, in the UK scene. Yeah. And then, of course, you got Sham69, who we'll talk about when we get to Oi Punk. Who boy. <laughs> I can't wait to talk about skinheads. And, oh. and the Buzzcocks, who were sort of like the first pop punk band. Yeah, yeah. With Ever Fallen in Love, really fantastic band. Awesome yeah. guys. But yeah, so there's that. UK punk's really cool. It's getting big, but I also have to preface too, they also really liked to wear swastikas and be uber racist yeah. and miserable. Well, so. that's that's a weird thing. So like, I guess that, that comes in like the beginning of the 80s, right? Like, uh, with uh, like the, um, the skinhead punk rock. Yeah, that comes around. That comes around. Oi, punk. That's sort of where that starts out. But it definitely originated in UK punk. Um, it, it later ended up all over the fucking world. But yeah. UK punk, specifically oi punk, sort of got this reputation because of how fast and how hard hitting it became. Because it was sort of oi punk was the UK's version of hardcore. Yeah, ostensibly, and so. Um, Oi Punk started to gather around the working class people, and at the time, the working class people mostly were uh, white, middle class men who were really pissed off that these Pakistani guys are taking over all our jobs. And so then the skinhead movement started to kick up. And skinheads, there's two types of skinheads. There's the ska skinheads, who were just mostly like, we just want to be loitering dickheads, but we're not racist. We, We just like the music. And then there's... Z Kyle fourteen eighty eight psychopaths who ended yeah. up ruining the oi punk image. Yeah, which it's like a interesting. So like I feel like pop punk is or pop punk punk has always done this really well where it takes like um, underheard voices, yeah, and become like a, a soapbox for them. Of course, yeah, yeah like because there's the anger and frustration of not being heard. Yeah, and then you find oh, there's other people that feel the same way, and I can yell and scream about this, and I can get out my frustration. And uh, there's like a great movie. I'm I can't remember the name of it. It's about pretty much like England early '80s dealing with racism. This is England. Yes, that that yeah. movie's great. Yeah. That movie's great. I love it. <laughs> Check it out. It's uh, it it wasn't like. It's got Al Capone from uh, Boardwalk Empires as the main antagonist. Oh, really? (laughs) He's fucking dope. I I, I don't remember the guy's name. I think his name's like Michael Irons or something. Yeah. But like, great actor, awesome actor, and he is a terrifying son of a bitch in that (laughs) movie. (laughs) Yes. But yeah, you see like a a lot. It's really like it's a great little. It's almost like a time capsule for like that moment in history. Yeah. 
you know, because you start to see like the ghettos of of London, the suburbs we would call them here, but it's row housing pretty oh, yeah. much. Like I feel like row housing did more to help punk rock than any other <laughs> structure. <laughs> like, because like you look at like um, what is the show that's really popular in America now, but it had a British first um, with Skins. Not no, shameless. Shameless. There we go. Like the 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 British version is all just like about people living in row the Gallagher family living in, in the, the row houses. Yeah, and it's like the tail end of punk. I think it's like uh, early nineties is when it's like starting. It was started to be filmed, but there's still like the 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 racism that they're dealing with. You know the sexual inclusivity that they're dealing with. You know the drug use that they're dealing with, but it's they don't deal it in a punk rock way. They kind of go more on the the pop side of things, the club scene. But uh, it, it it really it kind of gives you an idea of the the birthplace. Like if you wanna, if you don't understand being a punk, yeah. Like I feel like nothing can explain that more than systematic poverty. Yeah. No, I feel like that is if you want to understand what punk rock really is, you have to learn who the people are yeah. and where they come from. You want to understand how to like. There's the whole thing with like poser culture and stuff, where people yeah. are like, "Oh yeah, you're just wearing it to be like," which is kind of a big thing with the UK scene. Was that yeah. it sort of became a fashion statement? Everybody was wearing the leather jackets with the studs and yeah. the mohawk and, and the, the spiky hair, plaid bondage pants, the plaid bondage pants. Which I had, I had a pair of those. I wore them twice and got made fun of. <laughs> <laughs> This is in the era of UFO pants. The, oh, boy. Yeah, the raver <laughs> pants. Jesus Christ. Damn, you yeah. were getting dissed by people that listen to Fat Boy Slim. Yep. I feel so bad for you. Yeah. <laughs> that was my life. Uh... <laughs> but yeah, it's like a lot of that, like, it sort of became a costume, is sort yeah. of what you're... Would... Which is what makes, I think, when we get to hardcore, what makes hardcore so fucking cool, because it was like you got that punk punk rock energy, and here are guys that are wearing like stained t-shirts and like torn jeans, yeah. and they're like their work clothes, their work clothes, <laughs> coming up, just being like, all right, we're gonna sing this song called "Fuck You, Dirty Pig." But yeah, no, and so the UK scene starts to become a little bit bigger. A lot of the UK bands um, start to sort of get influenced and start pumping through the United States. And um, around 78 is the infamous Sex Pistols US tour, which ended in uh, San Francisco, where the Sex Pistols break up, basically. (laughs) Um, The famous, you ever feel like you've ever been, uh, you feel like you've been cheated. What's the line? <laughs> it, Johnny Rotten, they basically play No Fun off the Sex Pistols. Never mind the Bullocks. Here's the Sex Pistols album. No Fun for like seven minutes straight. And then at the end of it is like, you ever get the feeling you're being cheated? That's the line. And so, and then after that, they broke up because yeah. John Lydon's like, fuck this. Fuck Malcolm McLaren. He's cheating us and making us into a, a like a pop, like commercialized cartoon character. We're not fucking cartoons. Yeah. Fuck you. He would go on to make Pill, Public Image Limited. We'll probably get to that maybe yeah. uh, if I have time. But uh, new, back over to New York Punk, 
um, at this point, because of the explosion of the Sex Pistols, punk rock sort of becomes like a thing. And now the Ramones are getting mainstream attention. Blondie is getting mainstream attention. The Talking Heads get mainstream attention. And a lot of the bands from CBGBs are now sort of getting into the mainstream, becoming hit makers. Uh, Blondie is being played in fucking discotheques. And so like now... When, When does she invent rap? Is that around here? <laughs> I want to say like 80, 81. <laughs> that's, the, that's the worst take. I, I hate when people go like, nah, nah, you know, you know who invented rap music? <laughs> Debbie Harry. She invented rap music. I'm like, you fucking. Yeah, that's my favorite like stupid thing to say. Like I've seen Blondie. I love Blondie. Oh, of course. Blondie yeah. did not invent rap. <laughs> she didn't. Didn't happen. It was around during the DJ scene of the seventies. Yeah, like Sugar Hill Gang existed, yeah, but they yeah. didn't have a record label. That's the issue. She went. Oh, she hung out in Harlem three times and then started to adopt their culture. She invented the music. Okay, fucking crazed. Yeah. But you get these bands coming out. You get television. You get a lot of these bands. They start to become huge hit makers on the radio. And then a bunch of bands start to watch these bands, specifically the Ramones, and then they go back and they make their own bands. You go to D.C. and you have Henry Rollins, you have Ian MacKay, these guys who basically based their entire career off of the Ramones, being like, you know what, yeah, we're going to make our own fucking band. You have Glenn Danzig from the Misfits coming in this bitch. Um, You get a lot of people coming out. But there's also punk around the the world at this point, like little droplets here and there. Um, A few names to point out, Devo. Our friends Devo. I love Devo. They're great. I don't think I've ever listened to Devo. Uh, Devo's fine. They're they're like they're nerdy. <laughs> like that's I get like. Oh wait, the, is Devo the the Whippet? They're the Whippet. Oh, guys. Right, yeah, they're sorry, the Whippet right, guys. Right. But like back in the seventies, they were doing like proto new wave. Yeah. So it was like a lot of like synths, but it was like upbeat punk. It was yeah. almost like pop punk, but it was all like scientific industrial music. Yeah, more so like eighties pop. It was very eighties pop in like nineteen seventy eight. Yeah. So they yeah. they are very dope. I big fan of Uncontrollable Urge. That is a great song. But there's those guys, there's suicidal commandos out of Minneapolis who were sort of like a Ramones ripoff band, ostensibly. Um, but they were all right. Uh in Detroit, I wanna bring this up because these guys need to get all the fucking credit in the world. There's a little band called Death in Detroit. Back in nineteen seventy-three, they release an album. It doesn't really sell anything. The record label's like, you need to change your name. They're like, no, we're not going to change your name. That's the concept of our band. What the fuck are you talking about? So their album gets released. It doesn't really sell anything. They break up. They go and live their lives, and they go and do other things. And then their album gets lost. And then, like, three decades later in, like, the 2000s, skate culture comes around. Somebody buys a vinyl collection, finds this album, they go, what the fuck is this? Basically, these guys invented hardcore <laughs> before <laughs> yeah. hardcore was even a thing. So now all the skater kids who are like listening to fucking Minor Threat and Bad Brains are like, what the, hold on. And they get and they start sharing this around and it becomes big. And then it gets a reissue back in like 2013 and they become a big deal all of a hmm. sudden. So yeah, no, shout out. Band called Death. Yeah. Awesome band. Kick ass. And so you get a lot of these bands in in this east coast midwest range and now we get to california california punk 
shocker enough, a lot different than New York and L.A. <laughs> punk. Um, when it started out, it was very similar to like art punk. There was a lot of like, there's a lot of like very similar like Suicide or Patti Smith. Right. You get a lot of like people just experimenting, but they also had like certain tones to them that were like, oh, you know, eh, yeah, what we're gonna just be <laughs> like, you know. There's a lot, also a lot of female fronted bands too. Mm-hmm. So like, you get the Bags, you get X, you get like a lot of bands that were like, we're gonna try to do like the Blondie thing, but darker and edgier and meaner and fucking grimier, which is tight. So you get a few bands here. You get Crime, who are like arguably the first. Uh, California punk band and they were inspired by like 50s like greaser cultures so they're all coming out there in like leather jackets looking like fucking Joe John Travolta from Greece (laughs) doing songs you get crime you get the nuns you get the screamers who I talked about two synthesizers they still sound more intense than most of the bands coming out today (laughs) fucking awesome Uh, you get the bags uh, you get fear now fear I love Living in the city. Yeah. Oh, God. God. Nothing. I like that is my favorite start to a punk rock song. Just that dark, <laughs> soulful. Ah. Uh, love. Living in the city. Oh, God. My favorite is. I, I still love New York's all right if you like saxophones. <laughs> that song kicks so much ass. Yeah. And it's. it's it's unfortunately like mildly like super homophobic, but it's super <laughs> cool. I love it. They they performed just a split side topic. Um, we talked about the SNL performance or nah. Uh, we we've talked about it on on other podcasts yeah. that will remain nameless. Fell housemates uh, <laughs> will remain <laughs> nameless, but um, basically, fear they sort of create like proto hardcore in California. And they were mostly known for being incredibly antagonistic. Like, every live performance you see, they're just like, hey, we fucking hate you guys. You're all fucking pieces of shit. Look at all you fairies, you (laughs) fucking fairies. And then they're basically asking people to jump on stage and beat the shit out of them because their music's so intense. And so they do this and they perform and it starts to inspire a bunch of other bands to come out. Mainly the weirdos. Uh, you get the Germs, Darby Crash, m- my boy, <laughs> Darby Crash, the Germs who were fucking atrocious. <laughs> they were a terrible live. Like their album, great. Um, what we do in secret and fucking um, uh, fucking Media Blitz is another banger that I love. Uh, Manimal. Mammal? Mammal, that's the name, not Manimal. <laughs> Mammal. They have a few great bangers yeah. off their debut, but um, their live performances, their lead singer, Darby Crash, would get uh, incredibly shit-faced and fucked up before every performance. So, like, <laughs> instead of sounding like the album, it sounds like everybody else is sounding like the album, and, like, Darby Crash is, like, five speeds behind everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's par for the course with a lot of punk rock. Like that's, I feel like this is a good time to kind of get into, like, punk rock shows and well we mentioned yep. the most famous venue cbgb's but which is now a coffee shop fuck you Roland, <laughs> but <laughs> you know like i feel like punk rock was always something people are like well i'll go check it out and then either you went to a show and you're like oh my god i need to leave now or oh my god i belong here yeah you know the, the punk rock shows like in this time especially the start of hardcore it was audience on the stage 
this is where you you get the nirvana trash the the stage energy out of bands this is where you get like moshing the first oh yeah start. slam dancing becomes slam big dance. yeah which then becomes moshing yeah. um and also too like because before that, there was pogoing, which was allegedly uh-huh. invented by Sid Vicious, another <laughs> wonderful invention that Sid Swastika wearing murderer Vicious did. But, uh, but um, yeah, no, he's like the other thing too, though, with that moshing and the the punk rock concerts, especially in the eighties, like what the punk rock shows now. If you can't handle the punk rock shows now, yeah. like. I got I got news for you. You think they're hard now with like people <laughs> backfisting each other and like drop kicking? You go to punk shows in the eighties, specifically like Circle Jerk shows or Black Flag, specifically Black Flag. Yeah. These are guys who are coming in the pit with chains and knives and brass yeah. knuckles, just purposely trying to hurt people. Yeah. Like th- this is intimidating shit yeah so like it's a whole different scene like, there's a, a great scene in uh the movie salt lake city punk one of my favorite movies SLC, ever. baby yeah <laughs> uh where they they're at like a, a punk rock show and i feel like it's it's a really great vision of what it must have been like then there's a an overhead shot where it's just what looks like fights in the crowd there's people running across the stage. The singers like throwing them off the stage. It just that that energy that was around in the eighties. It's funny how it went like one of two ways, where it went like into like hardcore bands or glam rock. <laughs> it went it went into like if you're talking punk specifically, it went into either like hardcore bands or they turned into new wave bands and they were oh, yeah, associated yeah, yeah. with fucking wham, which yeah. is heartbreaking because like Blondie's good. Talking Heads are great. Susie, Susie and the Banshees are basically goth. They're cool, yeah. but no. Since you're new wave, you're hanging out with Boy George and George Michaels. Yeah. Get the fuck out of our face. So, like, yeah. it, punk sort of then became just like kind of a glorified sausage fest. But um, before even that was a thing, like LA was still like kicking ass. You had like the weirdos, you had the zeros, you had the Dickies who were pop punk guys, you know, Banana Split, pretty good song. X, who I love, they were like proto rockabilly. Nausea is a really great track. There's actually like in probably one of my favorite documentaries of all time, The Decline of Western Civilization. Haven't seen it, check it out. It's fucking awesome. Uh, it's sort of like a Spark Notes version of like LA punk, ostensibly. Right. Um, they show footage. This is like a film back in like 79. They're showing actual punk rock concerts and like live footage. And the intro they have is Nausea by X. And the show is the most intense shit because <laughs> you're just like as guys are fucking walloping each other in the face throwing each other like it's nuts yeah, yeah. but like these guys are awesome the go-go's oh yeah the fucking go-go's were punk by the way didn't know i don't know you don't know that but you know it's, it's a name of the punks but yeah you had the cl- the germs kind of were the big one and then my favorite jello biafra and the dead kennedys you get these guys coming in and they sort of basically make hardcore yeah they come in and they sort of establish what would be considered hardcore which is fast tempos fast blast beats uh punchy in your face rock but also politically charged 
also very much fuck you in every direction yeah. to political systems and to everybody at large. It very much alienating, not necessarily together music. Yeah. Um, Jello Biafra, my favorite front man of all time, the greatest human being in the world. Um, they made some of the most influential music out there. Um, and you wouldn't really have hardcore without the Dead Kennedys. I, yeah. I think that's more or less it. You wouldn't have modern rock or modern punk right now if it wasn't for the Dead Kennedys. Yeah. I think punk would kind of be considered a fad and it would be like, eh, whatever. Because of the Dead Kennedys, you would get out of the Dead Kennedys, you get the Circle Jerks, you get Bad Religion, you get Black Flag, Black Flag, <laughs> who would end up building what would eventually be hardcore. Yeah, yeah. Which, by the way, uh, <laughs> next on here... Um, all of hardcore ostensibly just builds itself off of like faster, harder punching in the face music. It was sort of founded in like Sacramento in Orange County in San Francisco, like everywhere around the LA area, but not really the LA area. Yeah. It was mostly what they would call it suburban punk originally, because a lot of those bands were like, they were coming out of suburbs you know, and they were having fucking VFW backhaul shows and going to like abandoned buildings to perform rock. And yeah. most of them were living out of fucking like vans and shit. But um, they sort of became a thing and it sort of changed the tide to punk rock. It changed what punk was yeah. from being like, oh, there's the artsy fartsy stuff. There's there's the guys with two synths. Oh, that's cool. No, fuck all that shit. We're going to have four guys on stage who all look like they just came out of an Arby's the other day <laughs> and they're going to sing like 37 songs in 15 minutes and yeah. you're going to fucking like it. Yeah, They and all just got off their construction jobs. Yeah, and they're ready to let loose. They are ready to punch people in the goddamn yeah. throat. And this is when you you mentioned the the political aspect. This is really when when punk kind of forms an identity. Yeah, you know, as far as like, I feel like a lot of like the early stuff is like, uh, "Fuck you, we don't care," and now it's like, "Fuck you, we care." Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of, it goes from the nihilistic, oh, look at the swastika on my chest. I'm so fucking cool. <laughs> and there were still some attitudes like that. Like yeah. Keith Morris from Circle Jerks, my second favorite front man of all time. Great human being. Awesome person. Um, total douchebag. <laughs> total <laughs> dickhead. Um, he would go on and he'd be like, yeah, we're the fucking Circle Jerks. Uh, this is cool, I guess. Whatever. Here's some songs, you fucking pieces of shit. Uh, one, two, three, four, and they just like go into like red tape or fucking live yeah. fast, die young, and it just really punchy songs like that. But yeah, you're right. It 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 went from this uh, fuck you, I'm gonna piss off my parents, all this stuff, to like no fuck Reagan, fuck the people that are fucking us. I want a better life for myself, yeah. and this is I, I don't like how things are going. I'm gonna tell you why things are bad. And you get that out of Jello Biafra talking about like how we're, <laughs> how our society is sort of a military complex, or how we kind of want to feed off the poor and let the poor die and kill the poor, or chemical warfare, or any of the other like yeah. highly politicized stuff that got them banned from fucking record stores. Yeah, yeah. But you get a lot of these bands. You get um. You also get like some. 
divergent voices a little bit later on, but like you get guys like the Minutemen, you get guys like Husker Du who take that hardcore style and are like, yeah, let's like organize it a little bit. Let's not be so fucking angry. I, we want other people. We don't want people to punch each other in the face. Yeah. We want them to hear what we have to yeah. say. <laughs> we have feelings, guys. Yeah, yeah. And so Husker Du came out, Zen Arcade, awesome album. Um, the Minutemen, I love them to death. They're also a really great band. Uh, Corona, the the jackass theme guys for all you <laughs> people that are like, who are the Minutemen? They're the jackass yeah. theme guys. But they come out. And then one of the bigger names out of the scene are Bad Brains. Bad Brains comes out of Washington, D.C. They're arguably one of the first like African-American hardcore bands. Yeah. Like there's apparently like Pure Hell was like a little bit before them and then a band called Death way before them, but yeah. like no one knew about it. Bad Brains became kind of like the East Coast version of the Dead Kennedys. So like the Dead Kennedys was on the West Coast. They were influencing all the bands like Black Flag and Circle Jerks. Bad Brains was taking over DC and the DC scene ends up building into the straight edge scene, which ends up being fronted by Ian Mackay and Discord Le Records. And you get a lot of like Minor Threat, SOA, uh, Government Issued, a lot of like bands yeah. that were very much more far leftist, very vegan, very much like don't drink or else we're going to punch you in the throat type <laughs> bands. Um, but like Bad Brains took that energy and they brought it to the East Coast as the Dead Kennedys were taking that energy and bringing it to the West Coast. You also get the Misfits, who founded Horror Punk, which yeah. is one of the goofiest goddamn genres <laughs> out there. I love it still. But yeah, This is when punk rock really branches out. This is when people take the energy and the uh, kind of the umbrella that is punk rock and expend ex then extend it <laughs> into oh, yeah. like their own personal interests. You like, get you get so many subgenres out of this. Yeah, you get yeah. so many things. You get like the start of skate punk with the adolescents and Agent Orange with surf punk, who are also an awesome band. You should check them out. Yeah. Uh, Social Distortion being rockabilly and starting yeah, yeah. the rockabilly punk scene. You get uh, Descendants, Bad Religion, who are sort of like the skate punk guys. You also get this thing called Nardcore. Hardcore. Which is apparently supposed to be, uh, it's it's called Oxnard Hardcore. It's shorthand Nardcore because it's a bunch <laughs> of these bands coming from Oxnard. Wherever the fucking Oxnard, California is, I don't know, but it comes out of there. And it's mostly bands that are kind of more thrashy than they are punk. All right. So you're getting like DI, you're getting DRI, you're getting Rich Kids on LSD, which is a great name for a band. Yeah. Uh, you're getting like Ill Respute. You're getting a lot of these bands that very much are like, are they punk or are they metal? What are they? Pretty pretty punchy music, but still like, eh, they're playing yeah. for either team. Yeah. You also get like suicidal tendencies who go from being hardcore punk and skate punk to thrash by the end of their career. You get um, a lot of these bands, TSOL, goth rock, goth punk, horror punk band, Code Blue, one of the first songs about necrophilia in the punk scene. Hell yeah. Um, and then uh, the biggest name in hardcore, Black Flag. Yeah, back Black Flag originally fronted by Keith Morris before he went to go do the Circle Jerks. Oh, yeah, yeah. they kicked him out because he was that. an alcoholic. So they, 
that ostensibly actually off of Damage, the the their first record with Henry Rollins. Um, their first song on that one of the first songs on there, uh, Six Pack, with my favorite song on there, Six Pack. It's about Keith Morris being an alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> so all the whole song is like twenty five dollars and a six pack to my name, six pack. Um, <laughs> so good, but like, yeah, it's uh, Greg Ginn, uh, Greg Jin, who is the founder of SST Records, who sort of becomes like the East Coast equivalent to like Ian McKay's Discord Records, bringing up a lot of these like independent West Coast artists and building up the hardcore scene or the punk scene in the the West Coast. And this is where you first start to get like zines and like independent labels, like you're saying, like like independent labels did so much for punk rock as far as making sure the artists started to get paid and taken care of and like actually were able to make a career. Yeah. Cause like before this, like punk rock, I mean, unless, unless you were like <laughs> ready to sell out all the ideals that you literally sang about, you were not going to make a career. Yep. Like, you know, like, and the, whether that's punk rock or not, like you can, if you love music and you love playing music and you want to do that forever, you have to make money doing that. Exactly, yeah. You cannot work a nine to five and go on tour. Yep. You can't. <laughs> it's you impossible. Can't do it. yeah. you, you have to choose one or the other. Yeah. And uh, a lot of these bands were like, we're not commercially viable enough to get on radio. We're going to have to do it independently. And yeah. a lot of these bands, like, fun fact, a lot of these bands didn't really make a lot of money. Yeah, <laughs> like, no. They were they were still dirt poor. Yeah. Like, Black Flag, until their run from, like, 80 to 86, before they all broke up and were like, yeah, fuck this. They still were not making money. Yeah. <laughs> they were yeah. still pretty poor. Yeah. <laughs> like, all these bands were, like, super broke. You don't really see... A lot of the D- DIY bands sort of kind of get their own thing until we get to Ian Mackay and Minor Threat, and more specifically Fugazi. We'll get we'll yeah. get there way later. But um, rest of this situation, you get Canadian hardcore, which is a thing that exists. But like DOA and the Wipers are kind of the big bands from that scene. Respect it. Respect yeah. Canadian punks. <laughs> Canadians are people too. I'm sick of this. I'm making a stand here. <laughs> Canadians are people. <laughs> Canadian. Look, look. <laughs> DOA is a cool band and all, but like, I, do you see how many pages we have? Left? Yeah. It's true. All right. So, um, yeah, the Wipers out of Portland, um, in New York. While hardcore was being a thing, New York was doing this thing called No Wave. Now. I don't want to spend all day talking about No Wave because No Wave fucking sucks. No Wave is it's it's noise rock. It's ostensibly punk rock noise rock. So yeah. like more obnot like loud, irritating, obnoxious. Like they're saying "fuck you" to your ears as opposed to the system. Yeah. Um. You get a few bands out of this, but the most prominent one because I don't really care about going through all of them. There's Suicide, which was sort of like the proto band, and then the big band out of the scene is Sonic Youth. Yeah. Which right. would later inspire a bunch of other bands in the yeah. 90s. Sonic Youth, they're all right. I'm not too big on them. But um, a lot of these bands start to come out, and they start making hits from the CBGB scene. 
you're getting uh, Young, Loud, and Snotty just releasing back in like 79, I believe, uh, from the Dead Boys. You're getting Chinese Rock hitting some airwaves. It's a co-writing from Rich Hall and Dee Dee Ramone, who are mm. both doing heroin, <laughs> of course. Um but you get a lot of stuff. You get horror punk coming in because of the Misfits. New Jersey's own Lodi, baby. <laughs> but um, you get the Misfits coming in, and their shows were fucking terrifying. Like, the East Coast equivalent to, like, those black flag, like, oh, guys coming in with chains and brass knuckles would be Misfits shows. Where they're, like, they're performing, and people are jumping on stage trying to fight Glenn Danzig. <laughs> and Glenn Danzig just punches the shit out of them yeah that's why glenn danzig is like super jacked even though like (laughs) you you hit him once and he'll fall over like a fucking rock he needed to be he needed to defend his mic (laughs) he needed to defend the honor of punk (laughs) but you get a lot of these bands out here you get the misfits you get the undead who are sort of pioneers of new york hardcore sorry we're not going to get into a lot of new york hardcore in this i'm sorry it doesn't really do much in the history in the long scheme of punk rock history so i'll just note new york hardcore exists uh tsol great band uh 45 graves they did the party time song from Return of the Living Dead. That's the only reason why I'm bringing them up. <laughs> and then you get the Cramps, who are kind of like the second big name in horror punk, which yeah. kind of are like more tongue in cheek, inspired like they're inspired by like B movies from the 50s. That that's the other thing too with a lot of the horror punk bands. A lot of the bands they either talk about like really grisly gruesome shit or they're talking about oh i'm singing a song about martians running around yeah. martians <laughs> oh the graveyard it's spooky Ooh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> we have a ghost inside our head yeah. um but yeah there's a lot of that and then dc punk dc hardcore starts to become a thing um bad brains inspires this whole entire scene to go out and this is where Teen Idols come into play. Teen Idols, being the first straight edge band, started by Ian MacKay. Yes. Now, what started this whole thing and what made this thing so prominent was that Ian MacKay, while he was touring with Teen Idols, they were going to the West Coast. And apparently they realized that a lot of their like a lot of the kids that wanted to come in, they're 16, they're 17. They can't go to fucking bars. Yeah. They can't go in and buy drinks. This is when the age was 18 years old and yeah. not 21 before Ronald Reagan ruined that. Thanks, Ronald. You just say fucking no. Cunt. <laughs> just say no. Remember, kids, just say no. All right, say no. <laughs> just want to make sure that we're. I'm glad Reagan's viable. dead. But, uh, <laughs> but um, so what happened was they start touring and they realize, hey, hold on. So they go to these promoters and they're like, hey, so what if we, if you find out someone's underage, you put an X on their hand. And if they have an X on their hand, they can't be served alcohol at all. And if they have an alcoholic drink on them, throw them out. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, sure, let's do that. So they start to do that. That becomes the sign of straight edge. Yeah. Straight edge then becomes the big prominent scene in the DC uh, hardcore scene where you have kids that are like, nah, fuck drinks, fuck smoking, fuck all this. I'm straight edge. I don't need any of that. (laughs) Fucking bullshit. Shout out Waldo. Uh, But (laughs) um, yeah, no, you get a lot of these bands who just come out, they're anti-drugs, anti-alcohol, some of them. Anti promiscuous sex. Yes, and I I feel like this is kind of in a response to like 
what really killed a lot of people in, with the 70s punk rock era. You, you watch, you're talking about the Ramones and heroin and the Sex Pistols and heroin. And like, <laughs> a lot of that is like, hey, like, it, live a decent life. Like, you don't need this to be punk rock. And because, like, really, I mean, punk rock reads this environment where everything's okay yeah and if you want to destroy yourself that's on you by the time that like minor threat was becoming a thing which is like 84 like yeah around that time you had sid vicious dying of heroin you had nancy spungen dying because sid vicious stabbed her because he was on heroin you had darby crash the lead singer of the germs overdosing on heroin You've had Rich Hall being an addict. You have Dee Dee Ramone recovering from it. Like, half of the punk rock scene were either on speed, on drugs, or on a mix of both. Yeah. And then West Coast punk was not even any better with them just chugging beers every day and yeah. being like, yeah, for you, man. Okay, I don't give a shit. So Minor Threat was sort of a counter-reaction to that. They're like, hey, we don't need this fucking shit. We can yeah. still stay energized and do this thing without this stuff. And so yeah. this is the start of straight-edge culture. This is the start of Youth Crew, which was sort of more of a... Like, it's straight edge, but it was sort of more prominent in New York hardcore. Yeah. So this is where where I talk about the one paragraph I have on New York hardcore. You get guys like Gorilla Biscuits. You get Judge. Judge is sort of the most prominent New York hardcore straight edge band because they very much were like, you know what? All these people are making fun of straight edge kids because, oh, they're too militant. Oh, they're they're, fine. We'll be fucking pieces of shit. So they become the militant straight edge hardcore band who comes out and says, if you smoke, we'll beat you up. If you drink, (laughs) we'll beat you up. Fuck you. And so they become a big thing. Um, Youth Brigade, like a lot of these bands that were very much more like, you know, they're hardcore but they had a positive message yeah it was like uh, like a punk rock psa ostensibly yeah but it was it was <laughs> they were they were making really decent music really good music and then as that's going on in the united states hardcore is kind of taking over over in the uk uh, the scene's kind of a giant mess so the sex pistols break up after the Sex Pistols break up, uh, Johnny Rotten says, you know what, fuck punk, all you fake poser bands, all you alternative television, fuck you. The adverts, fuck you. Adam and the Ant, get the fuck out of my face. Hmm. So he's like, you know what, punk is a dying branch. Punk is, I, I don't want to do the Johnny Rotten impersonation. Yeah, no. yeah. He's, like, he's like, you know what, I'm going to start Public Image Limited, which became one of the first post-punk bands, which was like, yeah, we're going to take inspirations from punk, but we're also taking inspirations from funk, from reggae, from disco, from pop music, yeah. as well as punk music. And so you get this eclectic sound of like upbeat tones with like the radical political edge of punk rock. Yeah. So, you know, that starts to become a thing. You also get I mean, there's still traditional bands out there. You know, Stiff Little Fingers, one of my favorite punk bands of all time from Ireland. They were proto-pop punk. They were very much anti-UK. I wonder why. Mm. (laughs) Um, You also get the Skids from Scotland. You get the Slits, which was an all-female post-punk band. Shout out. They're awesome. The Ruts, who were sort of mixed in with the oi-punk people, but they were sort of more post-punk. They were doing their own thing, too. Um, and then you sort of get like a few things here and there, but this is when like post-punk becomes sort of the UK 
answer to hardcore. While everybody in the United States is punching each other in the face, you have bands like Joy Division who are coming out and are sort of like proto-emo. Yeah, I was going to say arguably the first emo band. Yeah, but they're very much, they very much start goth rock. Yeah, yeah. They are very much prominently like the founders of goth punk. Them and Suji and the Banshees and The Cure are sort of the big three in that yeah. branch where they're very much like, yeah, why do we have to punch each other? Let's just like talk about our feelings, talk about our emotions. Yeah. Um, Joy Division, one of the best bands out there. Uh, unfortunately, Ian Curtis uh, was suffering through a lot of shit. Um, the poor guy had epilepsy back when we didn't even have like medication to deal yeah, with it. Yeah. So he was just like, what the fuck is wrong with me? And this, and the disease was ruining his life. And he ended up taking his own life, which is heartbreaking. And you can hear a lot of that pain and anguish he had in a lot of his lyrics. Yeah. A lot of his lyrics. Um, Unknown Pleasures is loaded with that <laughs> depressing shit. But you also get not everything in post-punk is like all sad and, and like emotional, like punch to the core. You also get Gang of Four which were like they were mixing punk with funk elements. Yeah. And you were getting Entertainment, which is Gang of Four's first album, which was a really fantastic album, really kicked ass, really great thing. You also get Wired. They were an art punk uh, noise rock outfit. Devo's becoming a thing. Magazine, it was a short-lived band, but they inspired a bunch of other post-punk bands out there. And then the Talking Heads... The Talking Heads. Do I need to go into yeah. the Talking Heads? It, they're prominently one of the best bands of all time. Uh, Public Image Limited I talked about. And then, yeah, Susie's and the Banshees, The Cure. Goth punk is becoming a thing. Yeah. Um, this is when I think like punk rock starts to look inward. Yeah. Into... Yeah, it, it's, it's funny. It's like a, a nice arc to the story of punk rock. So, like really just be about all like outside like look at what the outside world is doing to me thatcher fuck thatcher <laughs> fuck thatcher which is going to be very prominent in this scene yeah. soon but um it's like fuck thatcher and then a lot of these post-punk bands are like how do i feel about yeah. thatcher what do i feel about poverty what yeah. do i feel you know and then you also get like bands like bauhaus who are very much pioneers of goth rock yeah uh some of the best goth rock you're gonna find out there like the stereotype of like the black makeup and bella lugosi's dead is a fantastic track yeah i need a i need to mention bauhaus because i was about to go through the goth section without mentioning bauhaus <laughs> so i have to bring them up and i have to bring up killing joke who are also pretty good too so there's that anarcho punk is also a thing <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's a classic anarchy sign you see drawn on everything, everywhere. Oh, yeah. By any 13-year-old who doesn't understand anything about government. The, the world. I mean, yeah, naturally <laughs> or the speaking. World, yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> the thing is, is that a lot of the, yeah, you, you say that, but a lot of the anarcho-punk bands at the time when this started, these were some smart motherfuckers. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> these were like, these were the guys that were like, yeah, I read Nietzsche every day. Yeah, yeah. and I And I drink strictly like strip nine that's all i consume so like <laughs> these guys and and they're and they're very much they're taking like the nihilistic fuck thatcher thing and they're saying no 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 fuck the whole system fuck yeah. the entire thing and they take sort of the centrist we're not going to take any sides of punk and they shove it 
all the way to the left, where it's like they're not even like distancing themselves from anything else. The most prominent band out of this is Crass. You've seen the logo to Crass. It's like the cross with the swastika with like the X circle thing. I don't know that I've seen that. I don't want to pull it up. Yeah, but it's, 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 it's sort of <laughs> it's it's an it's a known logo, but they yeah. were very much also the pioneers of crust punk. Ah. which is arguably one of the worst forms of (laughs) punk rock where it was sort of, it's the, it's the punk equivalent to black metal where it's lo-fi as shit. No one knows how to play their instruments. Everything's recorded to hell. It's, it's, it's rough, but you know, it's also like very dark, pessimistic social issues are very much the prominent form. Discharge is a big proponent in crust punk, and they're also anarcho punks, and they're also hardcore. Hardcore now enters the UK. Thank you very much, Discharge. But you also get anti-sect. You get you get crass. Crass is the prominent name. And on the other aspect, from anarcho punk, we get oi punk. Now we get to talk about skinheads. So, um. While the Sex Pistols are becoming a thing, this thing called pub punk starts to become a thing, where it's like bands that are sort of being able to sing in bars. You get Sham 69 is sort of the prominent face of this. There's a bunch of other bands like the Adverts, the Business, and they're very much the British equivalent to hardcore. They're they're fast tempo. They're social. They're they talk about political shit all yeah. the time, and. This seems to unfortunately attract a lot of the working class skinhead types who end up co-opting the oi punk fame and the oi punk image to make a very hateful, offensive, racist, shitty version of punk rock. And then oi punk gets this black stain for ages of being skinhead punk. Yeah. Which is unfortunate because, like, the early bands were all right. Like, there's the business, Cockney Rejects, Sham 69, the Adverts, who their whole, not, yeah, Advert, no, uh, the Addicts, the Addicts, that's their name, not the Adverts. The Adverts is a different band, but they, I think, are also OI punk. Anyway, uh, the Addicts, who their whole gimmick was like, they really liked the Clockwork Orange. So they showed up in like the white suits with the penny hats, and their lead singer wore like fucking mime makeup. They were sick. But there was a lot of those bands, and then unfortunately, skinheads came out and just took it over and ruined it for everyone. Which is funny, like so, like when I got into like punk in the way that I did, which is really just pop punk, because it was like late '90s. uh, There was like a lot of you would see like patches that would be like anti-racism and like skinheads with the x through it and like i i I remember thinking like are people really like worried about like (laughs) all these issues still like there is a reason why dead kennedys wrote nazi punks fuck off yeah (laughs) there's a reason there is a reason and the reason was because of britain thanks britain (laughs) (laughs) and then of course there's like this subsection called street punk which is what really is the equivalent to hardcore after oi punk became skinhead punk street punk became like this is where you get the guys with the giant fucking hair with the spikes the neon green shit most prominent bands from there gbh the exploited are probably the the big name that everybody knows uh uk 82 is sort of the name of it because they become like the second wave like the third wave of uk punk and they're just all like guttural like fuck you we fucking hate this we're on poverty eat my dick fuck you 
and it's the most abrasive, <laughs> annoying shit in the world. I love it, but it's the most abrasive, <laughs> annoying shit in the world. Um, I think the most known band, at least in the United States, there's only one American band, that would be The Casualties, if you know The Casualties. Uh, yeah. 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 They sort of were like a warp Tour fucking old-timey band, the guys yeah. with like giant fucking spikes in their head from, from New York. And then the other thing, the other last one before we just go on to the rest of life is uh, Ska. Yes. <laughs> we begin the tale of Ska here yes. because a lot of these now bands, thanks to um, the punk rock revival and post-punk in particular, they start to come out and take different influences. One of the influences is reggae. Yeah. And this is where you get the special. The special come into play and they build what is now known as two-tone. Two-Tone gets adopted into punk rock, and this is where you get bands like The Special, Madness. Uh, there's a bunch of others, but those are the prominent two. Yeah. I feel are... like Operation Ivy's. We'll get to them later. Oh, they... oh, I <laughs> thought that was more this era. They are very much Two-Tone, but they are very much, they're later. like 89. They're right, 89. Right. These guys are like 79, 80, 81. So these right. are like around this era, but they're very much like ghost town from the special, very much politically charged. Um, but like madness is just more silly. A lot of the sky in this time is just silly, happy music. Yeah. Because all the other punk genres are like fucking Thatcher, fucking Thatcher. <laughs> but like, and there's people who are like, I don't really care that much. <laughs> <laughs> Chill out, man. Uh, Why you gotta be such a bummer? Can man? we just pogo? <laughs> I just want to. <laughs> <laughs> I just want a pogo, bro. Yeah, and like I feel like Scott was also like kids who were in band, but also like wanted a little bit of respect. <laughs> like, yeah, I can play the trombone, but like I'm kind of a badass. Also, I'm kind of cool. I smoke. I smoke cigarettes. My mom doesn't know about it. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh. No, 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 no. Um, but Which I'm not making fun of Ska, Streetlight Manifesto, still one of my favorite bands ever, but they're way after this point. So. Oh, we're, <laughs> oh, we're going to get to those guys. We're going to get to them and Jeff Rosenstock and the boys. But um, around this time, by the turn of the 80s, punk becomes mainstream, as I've gone over like 5,000 times. A bunch of bands here. And then UK is also getting picked out, too. You get Billy Idol from Generation X now becoming Billy Idol. Idol. Yeah. Monet Monet himself. <laughs> and... Also, the other big name was Elvis Costello, yep. who becomes sort of like this new wave front man who's sort of he's like punk because he has like the fast energy. But he's taking a lot of influences from like Buddy Holly and like yeah. 50s rock. And he's sort of like making it so showy. Um, a fun thing about Elvis Costello. I didn't know this. He got permanently banned for 12 years from SNL. <laughs> Just like fear, because he was he was on there. He was supposed to perform this one song about like British royals in like the turn of the century, and they're playing it. And he's like, "Guys, no, wait, stop!" Like live during the podcast, <laughs> he's like, "Stop, sorry, sorry, folks. There's no reason to play this here. Fuck this." Um, one, two, three, four, and he plays "Radio, Radio," probably the most known Elvis Costello song. Yeah. You know, "Radio is a salvation." Also, a song about censorship and about corporate censorship, uh. which is something that MSNBC didn't want him to play. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently, the executives and Lorne Michael hated him and banned him for twelve years because of it. 
So Elvis Costello, whoever says he's not punk, just show yeah. him that performance. It's yeah. very punk. So you get that. And then a lot of other bands get picked up, but also to start getting founded on this new upbeat noise. So you get bands like The Jam, who are more mods than punks, but they end up sort of co-opting the punk sound. Yeah. You know, you get you get the Buzzcocks who get up, the B-52s, who are very prominently like new wave, the Police and the Pretenders. You get a lot of bands that are coming out. And new wave becomes a thing mainly because executives are picking up all these bands, but they don't want to call them punk because at the time it's of the turn of the, the century, yeah, yeah, yeah the, they. Uh, I can't even think of the word, but it's got dirt on it. The name yeah. punk has dirt on it. It has dirt on it because when you say punk, they think at best Johnny Rotten saying fuck all of you yeah. and fuck Thatcher. At worst, because it's now the 80s, they're thinking of the Dead Kennedys and Black Flag and all those scary guys that are punching each other yeah. in L.A. <laughs> so they just want to like – so they make new wave into it. Yeah, thing. this is when like commercialism yep. comes in, in big time. Yeah. Like people realize that kids will buy these albums and that's exactly where we want to get our money. Exactly. <laughs> so how can we get our money and save face? Yeah, so we'll take we'll take this. We'll take this as yeah. a thing. And uh, what ends up happening is that New Wave ends up becoming like this overarching branch of like a bunch of subgenres like synth punk, synth excuse me, synth pop, yeah. power pop, um goth, post punk and ska all become new wave. Yeah, yeah. And unfortunately, this means that you get Blondie and The Clash or the Blondie and the Talking Heads being fucking put next to George goddamn Michael. But, you know, I digress. Yeah. So now everybody's like, fuck this, fuck new wave, whatever. Hardcore is becoming a thing. And now it's sort of splintering off into a bunch of other stuff. Because now hardcore is splintering from like hardcore to horrorcore and hardcore to rockabilly. Hardcore to skate punk. Yeah. And skate punk's important because all these bands end up inspiring the Green Days and the Offsprings of the yeah. world. So you get bands like Agent Orange, DI, The Faction, which is an awesome band. They have a song called Skate and Destroy, which is probably their biggest hit. It's a pretty tight jam. Big Boys, JFA, Suicidal Tendencies, the most known band out of this is probably either No Effects or Bad Religion. Yeah. Either of those two, they become sort of like the face of skate punk. And a lot of this is like... They kind of coin it as pop hardcore because it's like upbeat. It's still fast. It's still intense. It's still adrenaline pumping, but it's happier in tone, happier in rhythm, nicer. Everything's having, everybody's having a yeah. good time with this. It becomes a little uh, produced. Yeah. A little, little nice, a little smoother on yeah. the ears. I feel like this is the, the generation when the independent label starts to get help from major labels. Yeah, this is where you start to get, like, for Bad Religion, you get uh, Epitaph Records yeah. coming out. You know, they start coming in, they start boosting up their things. Yeah. SST, I think, gets picked up by another label, too. And what's it, Fat Cat Records? Fat Cat, Fat Wreck. Fat Wreck, yeah. <laughs> you know, a bunch of these uh, people coming out. And also, by the time like the late 80s into the 90s roll around, you start to get what's now called college rock, which is you take a lot of the punk energy and a lot of the punk bands, so like your Bad Religions, your Descendants, your 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 Minutemen, your Husker Dues, and then you're in, throwing on like the Replacements, who are yeah. you know they're they're they have sort a great of... song called Tim. 
you get the replacements who are like, yeah, they're punk, but they're more like alt rock than yeah, they are punk yeah. rock. You get bands like REM coming out of this scene. Um, and then you get like, and all these bands still are influenced by hardcore bands. They're yeah. still influenced by the LA bands. They're still yeah. getting influenced by that, but they're also like a little bit lighter. For instance, REM, very much inspired by the Smiths, who are huge over in the UK yeah. right now as post-punk band. Yeah. Um, so th- this starts to develop, and then this sound ends up inspiring what we now know as grunge. Yeah. Because a lot of these bands, and specifically a lot of like the underground bands that inspired a lot of those bands, like Flipper, um, a lot of like the Sonic Youths, a lot of these other bands start to become big in like, you know, the Seattle scene. And yeah. you get Kurt Cobain really loving the Butthole Surfers and Flipper and Zero Boys and all this stuff. And he starts loving that shit. And so that starts to inspire a lot more like. Of that sound that we will eventually get to, I have a paragraph about. Uh, <laughs> in New York, I would be amiss to not mention this fucking Satan psychopath on this, but um, a little man named Gigi Allen shows up. Yes. <laughs> he kind of becomes the face of New York punk outside of like the New York hardcore guys, like the youth crew guys and the straight edge guys and agnostic front. You get Gigi Allen, yeah. who is a psychopath yep. who um, get, yeah. gets naked on stage and shits in his hand and throws it at people. Yeah. And I always feel like Gigi Allen is the logical conclusion to the beginning of punk rock. Yeah. Like, I feel like when Gigi Allen died of a heroin overdose and there's the picture <laughs> of him, the girl taking the picture with him, I feel like that was like the death of what punk rock originated as. The very much like, fuck you, I'm here to offend you, and that is all, like, my existence is to make your existence a little bit more like the pain I feel. And I feel like he he's just such a polarizing figure. I do not like anything that Gigi Allen has ever put out. <laughs> I really don't. I don't find it enjoyable. Uh, bite it, you scum's a track. I like it. It exists. Um, and I think, and and to be to be fair too, when he shows up on these talk shows like fucking Geraldo and like you know Morton Downey Jr., it's some of the greatest television of all time. I have not seen I lo- it. In any of that. It is hilarious. Yeah. It is some of the best stuff because you just have. I think the last one he did, there was this. I forget the show. This woman's like, we had Gigi Allen on a week later after this interview. He ended up dying in his hotel. Here is the clip of what happened and he's just on on stage yelling at them being like i am a savior to your children i will fuck your children i will eat your children alive i will murder them in front of you to save rock and roll i am the soul of rock and roll <laughs> it's just nuts and he brings out like two women to his side yeah. piece who are just like oh i mean fucking yeah you know i suck his dick occasionally but he's my daddy and i love him and all this he's nuts but like you're absolutely right. He is sort of the logical conclusion to the Iggy Pop, you know, aesthetic and the Sid Vicious wearing a swastika on his chest. He's the logical conclusion is this nihilistic, literally fuck everyone. I am going to destroy everything in my sight yeah. and none of you are going to do anything about yeah. it. 
and very polarizing because, yeah. you know, <laughs> as much as I love Bite It, You Scum, and as much as I think that his television appearances are hysterical, he was an objectively piece of shit. He's just a piece of shit. Yeah. And, you know, you, you yeah. can you can praise him all you want, but, like, you know, when you bring women on stage and f- rape them on stage... You're a piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> You're a piece yeah. of shit. So, like, yeah, fuck him. And another reason that, you know, commercial viability wants to get away from the term punk rock. Exactly. It's alienating, and it's, it's, fu- it's like, oh, this is punk? This guy shitting in a hand and punching women? Oh, cool. Fuck this. Yeah. So, yeah, he ends up becoming a name. And also, too, out of the hardcore scene, what ends up happening is I just need to take this off because my hair is just getting exposed (laughs) at this point. What ends up happening is that out of Black Flag, out of the Circle Jerks, out of the Dead Kennedys, you get a lot of these jocks, and they call them jock punks, who are these guys who show up and they just want to beat people up. Like the punk scene, as violent as it was, it was a family. People are showing up and they're having a good time and they're enjoying life. And here comes these guys who heard about this fast, intense music, and all they want to do is, I'm just going to beat the shit out of these nerds. Let me beat the shit out of these nerds. And people were not liking it. And ostensibly, it just became a sausage fest filled with punk bands talking about how much they hate women, how much they're not getting laid, how much they hate, hate other people. And out of this comes a little genre called Riot Girl, (laughs) which is hardcore, but it's feminist. A lot of these female-led bands coming out of the West Coast, most prominently Bikini Kills, who were basically saying, you know what? Fuck you guys, you misogynist shitheads. Here's, I get to do this now. Fuck you. Yeah. And they give a lot of that hardcore energy with a feminist twist, which is really cool. It, it doesn't really get like mainstream, but yeah. it does inspire a bunch of bands. For instance, Hole. L7, a lot of the female-led bands of the 90s have a lot to go to Riot Girl for, for like a a punch-up. Be like, yo, thank you. Thank you very much. And unfortunately, a lot of those bands get labeled Riot Girl and they hate it. For instance, Courtney Love is not a fan of the term Riot Girl. But, you know. But see, that's the thing about punk rock. I feel like every inch of space in punk rock needed to be fought for. Oh, yeah. And yeah, that's what, like a lot. Much respect to Riot Girl. Uh, much respect to um, queer core. Yeah, another thing, hardcore. That's all LGBT friendly. Hell yeah, let's yeah. go. Yeah, but and it, you know, it's it's funny. Like a lot of that was just into response to, you know, like the uh, the racism and. Uh, I can't the think of early age of that nihilist, fuck you, centrist, let me offend whoever we want in punk later turned into unironic racism, unironic sexism, unironic homophobia. Yeah. Like, I love hardcore to death. I love the circle jerks. I love all that stuff. I love fear. Half of those songs have something to do with like, yeah, fuck queers, fuck the gays, they're shit. It's like, come on, <laughs> like, come yeah. on, guys. Like, I'm I'm happy enough to say I think Black Flag avoided being a gigantic piece <laughs> yeah. of shit, but there was a lot of bands, specifically Fear, I can point out. I think the Germs too, that were just like, we just hate the gays, and it's like, why? 
So like the fact that you like go this or or we hate women, for instance, with fear, their mouth won't shut. The opening track to their second album, More Beer, is about punching their girlfriend because they won't shut up. (laughs) Really offensive shit. So I think a lot of like the offensive nihilistic shithead nature of early punk and it all culminates with Gigi Allen, you get by the 90s people being like, nah, fuck this. Nah, fuck this. And once we get to post-hardcore, you get a lot of people being like, nah, fuck this. Yeah, yeah. We can do this without you guys. Fuck you. Yeah. Um, and so you get this energy, and you get the energy of grunge coming out now in the Seattle scene, which, by the way, apparently all the grunge bands hated the term grunge. They would rather be called the, the Seattle scene because they're like, grunge is a fucking label that's made by, like, a suit. Fuck this. Yeah. But this is where you get... Nirvana. This is where you get the Melvins. This is where you get Soundgarden and Pearl Jam. And what they did was they took the fast nature of hardcore punk. They took the fast and like embraceive nature of punk rock, and they melded it with the chord structure and the riffs of heavy metal. Mm-hmm. And they melded it into this weird cacophony of like the most intense raw sound anyone has heard. Yeah, and. Arguably, the first proto-grunge band was Black Flag, because what ends up happening is Black Flag releases Damage, which is a hardcore punk staple. They then release My War. First half of My War, still hardcore punk. The second half of My War is literally just a bad, bad, like, it's it's an awful bad, uh, black, Black Sabbath. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> a bad Black Sabbath impersonation. And people are like, what the fuck is this shit? But the Seattle scene's like, what the That's fuck is the this shit? shit? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what the fuck is this? And so you get guys like um, fucking Buzz Osborne going to Black Flag shows and saying, man, that's super cool. And he ends up making riffs that sound like that. And he ends up making the Melvins, who are awesome. And you get guys like fucking, um, oh, where the fuck? I had it here somewhere. Uh, oh, it's melded in my notes. But the guitarist or the bassist for Nirvana. Uh, yeah, Kurt no- <laughs> Novelski yeah. or whoever the yeah. hell his name is. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Kurtz uh, no- Novoselic. Kurtz Novoselic. There we go. Have it written down. That's close. Yeah, you know. <laughs> it's close enough. He said that that was the biggest life experience he had yeah. in his sound and his creation. And so you get this sludgy, dark, nihilistic. And this also, too, it takes a lot of stuff from post-punk because instead of being like, fuck all of you and saying like an outward yeah. approach to life they're talking about what they feel inside and unfortunately in seattle a lot of the people that were feeling inside were feeling very depressed yeah. very sad very upset i wonder if the rain had anything to do with i that. think maybe <laughs> i don't know it could be rain it could be heroin rain, one of the two also just like <laughs> so that's like early 90s right that was like the seattle scene was like 88 89 and then it became big in the 90s big in the 90s yeah. all right so, yeah. so like these guys end up becoming like huge. Green River is arguably considered the first grunge band who they release an album that gets coined grunge or yeah. gets coined an opt grunge. But you also get Soundgarden, you get Pearl Jam, you get Alice in Chains. Those become the big names, and then Nirvana. 
do I need to talk about fucking Nirvana? I've, I, yeah. I looked at, <laughs> trust me, I saw the Wikipedia page for Nirvana. I do not want to talk about Nirvana <laughs> that much, but um, very influential. And they're the reason why a lot of these bands now in the 90s end up having a fucking chance to become mainstream. Yeah. Yep. This is where you get the pop punk explosion and the mainstream success of it all. Because now you have a lot of the Bay Area punk bands. So like, Operation Ivy, for instance. <laughs> Operation <laughs> Ivy from the Bay Area, which was the band of Tim Armstrong, who would later go and make Rancid, yeah. which they kind of were ska punk. They were third wave ska, I believe. They're considered third wave ska. And they very much took like the aspects of like skate punk and fused it with ska because it was all upbeat, but it was still fast tempo yeah. and you know, and it gets you maybe a little bit of youth crew because there's some like there's some group chords in there. There's some group chants. It's it's some good stuff. I love energy. Energy's like probably top ten favorite albums of mine. But um, you get that. You get Jawbreaker coming out, who are sort of considered one of the first post-hardcore bands to become mainstream because like you had Husker Du and you had Minutemen, but now you're getting now you're getting into okay. We're getting the explosion thanks to Nirvana. We get to come out, and then Jawbreaker will later become yeah. big when emo becomes a thing. Uh, Sublime, another band, seminal. Uh, the Offspring and Green Day. Green Day gets this major explosion thanks to uh, Nirvana, and they release Dookie in '94. Dookie goes platinum. Yeah, <laughs> uber platinum. Which is Dookie is probably the most popular first album of anyone in my age range. I feel like Dookie was the first. We can convince our parents to buy it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and like it was, it was not my first album. I think it was my second album. My first album was a Weird Al. Uh, <laughs> Hell uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which maybe that's why I have uh, odd sensibility, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, Dookie's like our, my first introduction to what punk was at all. Yeah, and I feel like anyone in my age range, like thirty five, that was also our first, because it was the first thing we heard. You know, like I grew up in the MTV era. Yeah. And like I'd be like MTV was like, ooh, these guys are silly little stoners. We can <laughs> Oh, and they do like little they have poppy riffs. We can get the kids hooked on this. Long they... is such a nice track. What's it about? Masturbation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way they'll look any deeper into punk rock. Let's start them here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It becomes bubblegum and, and Dookie becomes huge. Then right after that, you get Smash, which becomes seven times gold. It's considered a huge, a huge boost to pop punk. Yeah. Um. Even though a lot of people in punk really hate the Offspring, I don't know why they yeah. hate them. I love the Offspring. Sorry, I've really played Crazy Taxi like a motherfucker. I'm sorry, <laughs> yep. but um, you get that, and then you get Blink One Eighty Two, who comes out of this scene who start off as skate punk. They're sort of in that skate punk crew, and then they later become mainstream thanks to Enema of the State. Yep. So you get all of this coming into play. Even Dude Ranch, I feel, is that was that was pushed. Yeah, it's a little bit. Yeah, you get... Well, I forget. Dude Ranch has Damn It on it, right? 
Uh, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, because yeah. I know it has Josie, which is probably my favorite, <laughs> my favorite Blink One Eight Two song. That sounds I, fun. I always explain that album as you ever eat Skittles and smoke a cigarette at the same time. <laughs> 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 it's pretty much like what it. It's like yeah, I have like a little bit of an attitude, but I'm still like sweet as sugar. Exactly. Know? That's fine. It's good. But yeah, so pop punk becomes a thing, and then of course Pennywise follows them after that, yeah. and out of all this we get to what would probably inspire, this is going to be probably the longest segment, uh, what inspired the sound of the 2000s. Mm-hmm. So we're going a little bit back to the 80s. I do apologize. We were almost out. We were almost there. <laughs> we are almost there. We got to go back. I'm sorry. But this is where post-hardcore becomes a thing. Because now after hardcore has kind of attracted all these dickheads who are punching each other in the face and shit, a lot of these bands are like, okay, let me evolve the style. And you were also getting that in any way with Husker Du and you were getting that with the Minutemen who were experimenting with tones and sounds and they were trying to experiment with like how to express themselves. So they were taking the aggression of hardcore, but then they were taking the lyrical styles of post-punk. Where it's very much like my feelings, my internal feelings. And they were sort of expelling out. And a lot of it's known for like these whispered croons and these like really like whiny vocals. This is where whiny vocals becomes a giant criticism. But you get bands like Naked Ray Gun, who were a post-punk band that took hardcore elements and developed it. They're pretty cool. You get Effigy. Uh, you get a lot of bands that are inspired by S- Sonic Youth <laughs> yeah. and only Sonic Youth. No other band from No Wave, <laughs> just Sonic Youth. Fuck Lydia Lunch. Uh, you get that. You get Big Black, who are kind of more industrial rock, but they're also a prominent aspect yeah. of this genre. They inspire a lot of this. Uh, Black Flag, of course, Husker Du, Minutemen. And... Then this sort of worms its way to Washington. Washington is still doing the straight-edge hardcore thing. They're still being like, don't smoke, don't drink, be be yourself. But Washington is now evolving into taking that sound of like emotional hardcore, and they are building upon it. This is where you get Rites of Spring, who become sort of the first emo band, yeah. ostensibly. Rites of Spring post-punk legends, emo pioneers, their self-titled album. You probably have seen the image. It's the weird painted horse thing, black and white, looks like a nightmare fuel thing, Mm -hmm. but it's great. Get the Dang Nasties, you get Grey Matter, you get Embrace, you get a lot of these bands, most of them from from Discord Records, owned by Ian Mackay of Minor Threat, and this is what they call the Revolution of Summer. These are sort of these bands that end up building this scene that's like, yeah, we're as intense as hardcore, but we have more thought-provoking lyrics. We're sort of more focused on like the internal feelings of ourselves. A lot of them bordering on communist because they have a lot of really left-leaning lyrics, specifically bands like Nations of Ulysses, who we can get to. Um, but the revolution of summer ends up becoming this concert show that ends up building like the building blocks of post hardcore and emo. Um, they end up building around this emotional sound 
which ends up inspiring a bunch of other bands like uh, Jawbox, who make some pretty good songs, I yeah. guess. Nation of Ulysses, who refused, basically rips off. And then the biggest name is Fugazi. Yeah. The biggest name in post-hardcore is Fugazi. Repeater. Oh boy, repeater baby. I love yeah. 13 songs personally. <laughs> Waiting Room is such a jam. But um, it's fronted by Ian Mackay and Guy Pisciotto of Rites of Spring. So Ian Mackay, Minor Threat, Rites of Spring, the two front men, the two leading names of DC hardcore yeah. melding into one band. And their idea of it was to make music that departed from hardcore. This is where you get the anti-mosh movement, where yeah. it's like, we want to make music that makes you think. We want you to feel, please don't punch each other. We're anti-violence. <laughs> if you punch each other, we'll refund you. And they start to really take on the DIY aesthetic. Yep. Ian Mackay, I haven't really bring him up much, but I really do admire Ian Mackay because he's sort of like the forerunner of like DIY and punk culture. He starts Discord Records. He ends up marketing all these bands. He ends up paying for all these bands. He ends up touring with all these bands. He finds out which bands are coming in from the areas like DOA from Canada or Black Flag, or there's actually a mini documentary that I found online called Another State of Mind, which is about social distortion, youth brigade touring the hardcore circuit yeah. which ended up becoming a thing because all these bands are like traveling they're going from california to like the border of canada to like chicago down over yeah and they end up in washington dc and ian mckay's like booking them homes yeah and leading them to where they could go oh my my dog is saying hello oh no <laughs> hello dog <laughs> I can't see you, but I hope you're a good pupper. Yeah. Um, and then they also do this other thing, too, which is something that really hasn't been a thing in punk, like mainstream-wise, but they sort of create the idea of a lead and a rhythm section, All right. ostensibly. So what happens is, is that they start playing initially, and Ian McKay is the guitarist, and Guy Pisciotto is the lead singer. He starts to realize that Ian's tones are really low, so he's hitting that underground rhythm section yeah. so that he can play guitar and he can just soar and make the fucking loud yeah. shit. So these which, guys start pairing. Yeah. Which is an adaption, uh, adaptation of just regular rock music. Exactly. You know, it's, there's yeah. always been a rhythm and lead, you know, and... It's really, I think this era of punk rock is this is kind of where punk is not the main influence of the music anymore. Yeah. I feel like this is where, you know, like rock and roll really digs its heat. Like people are more about the musicality than the just fast rhythm, abrasive. It's more now like, let's make music <laughs> exactly let's let's work something out these guys take a lot of influences from reggae and funk yeah there's yeah. a lot of that noise it's not just oh i really like the the, the black flag let me just make a black flag clone no it's like yeah, yeah i like black flag but i also like george clinton can yeah. we let's do that let's make it yeah. happen oh sure why not um and what really makes it super cool is that they tried their best to make their music as accessible to the to the masses as humanly possible. They would play a ton of shows. 
they would record a ton of those shows after they broke up on their own website they released all their 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 yeah. live shows and they charged people like on a pay what you want basis yeah yeah when they started doing concerts they would charge people the barest of minimum prices because they want the most amount of people to come and watch their stuff yeah so they're like yeah five dollars yeah, yeah you just pay five come on in which back in that day it's like 10 bucks now yeah. or like 15 now but but this is the start of the merch movement yeah <laughs> this is the start of like hey if you want to support us this is how you support us not hey buy our record you know we're gonna charge you 30 bucks to see us live you know this is the start of you have the choice of whether or not you support us exactly yeah not like you're gonna support us. We get, we get, you know, we give you options. Yeah. If yeah. you you can't see us this way, well, you can see us that way, and they very much make it so like, oh, you you have like three bucks to your name. Oh, it's fine. Just come on in. Yeah. 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 Enjoy. It. It's fine. It's cool. And it's really this like powerful movement. It inspires so many people. Insane amount of people are inspired by Fugazi, and that noise ends up developing into emo. A lot of these bands that come out afterwards, you get guys like At The Drive-In, Drive Like Jehu, you get the Jesus Lizards, you get the Rollins Band, Henry Rollins of Black Flag coming in yep. and being like, I, I have feelings too, yeah. guys. <laughs> and you know what? My joints hurt. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out you can't just be a menace on stage for a hundred years. <laughs> now you, he's a you get old. <laughs> now yeah. he's a philosophical menace. Yeah. He's like, My well, testosterone is drying up and uh, <laughs> I would like to sing about it still. <laughs> instead, instead of shouting about like, degenerate cops in LA he's shouting about why don't you love yourself yeah. love yourself <laughs> uh, but you get him you get Cap and Jazz who become like the pi one of the pioneers of emo yeah. you get Cap and Jazz you get Refused who end up shaping the noise of modern music with the shape of punk to come in like 98 this yeah. this is where you get sort of like Elements of screamo, elements of emo music, elements of electronica, elements of like just 500 different genres yeah. in this one album. And it's just wild you get this stuff. But you get that, and it's now building upon that because now people are hearing the DC sound and they're getting inspired to make their stuff. And this is where the DC sound ends up in the Midwest. <laughs> and this is where you get Midwest emo, folks. We're getting there. Yep. You get Sunny Day Real Estate. Uh, yeah, <laughs> the boys themselves with Saddle, their Saddlebrook Records. Well, that's a little bit later, but yeah, definitely inspired by Sunny Day Real Estate. Exactly. That you get you get their their seminal work, Diary, which becomes a major hit or at least like an indie hit. Jawbreaker releases 24-Hour Revenge Therapy, yeah. which also becomes like sort of the archetypal emo record. And both of those bands end up spinning out and building that Midwest emo sound, which you get a lot of bands like The Promise Ring, The Get Up Kids, Jimmy Eats World. Yeah. You get a lot of these bands coming out. This is, this is where I... So, like, I started out as, like, a hardcore head, but I, really just because my friends were. So oh, yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, All Out War is great. I, I love fucking moshing and 
<laughs> Punching it, people in the face. It seems so yeah. cool, man. But then I was like, you know what? I really don't. <laughs> <laughs> I like my feelings. Yeah, I, I'm kind of <laughs> sad a little bit. I'm not angry. <laughs> yeah, but this is where I start to get into like um, DIY type things, like uh, underground at the that point in my life, it was being called you know, underground punk. Yeah. Which is sort of this fusion of like mostly like post hardcore emo punk, uh, a lot of this like you know just get in touch with your feelings. Yeah, don't yeah. you know where it wasn't pop punk, which is the Blink One Eighty Two, Green Day, cool kids pretending to be the slacker. Well, there's yeah. the slacker guys, and that's why they're the cool kids. Yeah, yeah. It's basically, they're the slackers being the cool kids, and these are the slackers who are just crippled and sad. Yeah. <laughs> and so you get these guys, you get Weezer coming into the fray, which yeah. I didn't even realize were apparently emo at first, as opposed yeah, to rock. I mean, like Pinkerton, like that's that's a solid emo album. I, I would I would make the argument. I hate Pinkerton. Yeah, it's so not a good lot. album. Like it's not a, it's, it's, it's a seminal, terrible. It's a seminal. <laughs> it's a seminal emo record. I'll yeah, agree with you yeah. on that. It, it inspires a bunch of other bands beyond that point. Um, it's fucking incel rock, but <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a good track. And then you get also the inspiration because a lot of bands like Nation of Ulysses and a lot of those bands, they're also dabbling in what would eventually become math rock. Yeah, which you well, get, you mentioned at the drive-in, which at the drive-in, which is I fucking... mean, get more math rock. I don't think he's <laughs> beautiful. Love the love the band, but I uh, intense in their complexity. Yes, yeah, there, there we go. go. Intense the in their complexity. It's it, it, you get to that thing where it's like, oh, f- my friends who are humongous music heads, they all hate like. I meme my friend a lot because he's like, you know, I just can't dig a song that's in 4-4. And I'm like, so you hate 92% of the music that's out there right now. And he's like, yeah, I just want to listen to like something that's like, you know, I need like 816 signature right now. I'm like, or 8-9. And I'm like, fucking dude, come on. And so, (laughs) but you get that. And this is, this comes into play with American football who kind of become like the face of Midwest emo and they're kind of a meme now because so many people are like, oh, that's boomer emo and, you know, (laughs) incels will say it's the greatest album of all time, which is upsetting because it's a really good album. But, um, (laughs) and then out of that scene, the Midwest sound ends up going back to the East Coast and now you get... New Jersey and Long Beach getting involved in emo because yeah. now you're getting this band Lifeline, who sort of become the founders of what they claim to be New Jersey. I think you said underground punk. Yeah, when yeah, kind of like emo before it was emo before yeah. there was like uh, I can't even think of like Finch and before Drive Through Records, pretty much. Yeah, before that it was just considered underground to us like it wasn't it was it was kind of pop punky it was kind of not rock it was just this something before it had the name emo it was just like i don't know what this is but i like it so it's underground punk for real and it and it and it inspires a lot of these bands that come out you get like Senses Fail comes out of this scene, Save the Day comes out of this scene, Thursday comes out of this scene, Taking Back Sunday, yeah. uh, those pedophile pieces of shit and brand new, uh, they come out of this scene. Um, and the most prominent name 
MCR, My Chemical Romance, yeah. comes out of this scene and straight out of Newark. Straight out of Newark. And not only comes out of this scene, but basically sort of glams the glamifies emo. Because yeah. now it goes from Oh, like a bunch of sad college kids talking about how they got dumped yeah. to, oh, now we're going to wear the eyeliner. We're going to have the emo haircut. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to make our shows a production. Exactly. Yeah. And a lot of this too, like uh, as a lot of those bands are like tightly knitted together. Although like Taking Back Sunday, brand new, their feud or whatever. But like that was like, there was considered like a writing community that was around that time like the the long island punk rock at that point like people wanted to call them hardcore because they screamed (laughs) like so like there is they're considered long island hardcore scene but like it was never i never considered that hardcore because like i had seen bands like earth crisis yeah yeah (laughs) like i was like this isn't hardcore at all (laughs) a name i didn't bring up but they're also (laughs) like they're known for like pro environmentalism on top of being straight edge and they're and i think also i might be wrong here but they also probably advocated veganism that was the start of yeah 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 i yeah i i just liked how fucking hard they were (laughs) hard ass band fuck yeah bro but uh new york hardcore yeah yeah but like that kind of came out around that and like i can remember like taking shit for like going to taking back sunday shows (laughs) there you you go but like because like i grew up around hardcore kids who like like uh why did i almost say coheed and cambria that's not what i wanted to say (laughs) you were in the bowery listening to sick of it all being like why are you going to food team by sunday shows you fucking yeah yeah like candiria and god forbid and um by the grace of, yeah. you know, that's that's where like that's uh, to me, this is where hardcore splits from punk too. Yeah, hardcore then becomes more metal. Yeah, you yeah. get a lot of the metalcore bands coming out of yeah. this, which you know later inspires the current crop of hardcore punk now or yeah. hardcore. Yeah, it's now it's not even punk, not even hardcore yeah. punk's a thing. Yeah. Hardcore punk was like, oh, that's grandpa music. Yeah. Hardcore is now a movement and it's a lifestyle yeah. and it's a thing and there's different branches. You could either be a straight edge kid, you could either be an environmentalist, you yeah. could be that, or you could just listen and knock loose and want to punch people in the face. Yeah. So, you know, there's you yeah. get all that. And then, of course, we, we mentioned Pinkerton. I, I hate Pinkerton, but it, it did inspire <laughs> a bunch of emo album, bands. Yeah, there's yeah. like one good song on it. Like I mean, uh, I, I'm still I'm a Blue Al, uh, album advocate. Yeah. I think that that's probably their best album. But like you always see like Pitchfork goons being like, "Yeah, Pinkerton's a great album." Yeah. And it's like, yeah, we get it because you live in Soho and you got rejected by feminists all day. You fucking incel. Yeah. <laughs> you get it. But like, um, it's it's cool. But it's he, they're considered the most important band of the last ten years because Pinkerton ended up inspiring. A bunch of other bands yeah. that would later take over the airwaves in the 2000s, which would include, and not limited to, some of the prominent names, Fallout Boy, Paramore, Panic at the Disco, MCR. Yeah, I could go on and talk about the fucking Used and the Main and Hathorn Heights and all the other bands, but yeah. God forbid, I don't want to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 
So at this point in time, this is when Warped becomes a thing. Warped Tour, Vans Warped Tour was sort of started as like an alt-rock festival, very similar to like Coachella. But then they're like, you know what? Let's just focus on punk music. We're going to get punk bands in. And this is where they're bringing in like old head bands with new school bands. And this is where the explosion of emo kind of takes place. Because you get like, yeah, sure, you get like each person has their own like little piece of things. You got the Midwest guys. You got the DC crew. You got New Jersey. You got all them. And they're like making their pockets. But Warp gave them a voice. Yeah. They came around and were like, we can put you on these shows and put you on this label. And also connected then them to bands like the Exploited. You know, like <laughs> they had because the, there was eight stages and like so that you had to watch somebody at some point you that you didn't know. Exactly. And like you can't just sit at the drive through record stage the whole time because at one point the early November is gonna come on and you're gonna fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to go to another stage to check somebody out and i love the early november but (laughs) but like i feel like there though that's when i got exposed to the different types of punk rock as far as you know thrash punk or you know uh horror punk seeing uh i can't remember any of the warp tours that i went to thank you xanax but um (laughs) it's I, i remember leaving there with pockets full of stickers of bands that i checked out later hell yeah yeah you know my biggest one uh, one of the many big regrets i have being a youngling is that all my friends in middle school and high school they were all fucking warp tour kids so all the same people like i was friends with all the emo kids like yeah. all these kids that were wearing like the teased hair and they loved mcr they thought mcr was the greatest band of all time they would always go to warp tour every year yeah they would they would drive down to fucking homedale and they'd be like oh, let's go hang out and fucking blast music and most of them would just stay around all the emo bands they would be fans of the main and stuff but i would would have fucking died to just be like I want to go sit down and see goddamn Bad Religion and Real Big Fish live at like 13 years old Yeah, and maybe I wouldn't have been a libertarian until I was 15 maybe just maybe (laughs) but like there were so many bands that were inspired by it it sort of branched out from like skate punk and third wave ska to like third wave ska and emo to emo and like metalcore and a bunch of other bands beyond that by the tail end you had like 303 and Katy Perry which sucked but it was still like a lot of bands got their name out there. Some 41, MCR, yeah. Machine Gun Kelly, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> a bunch of other bands came out of the Warp Tour scene. And then after that, you got all this explosion of post-hardcore bands that would later inspire Emo, Hawthorne Heights, Thrice, AFI, The Used, Silverstein, Scary Kids, Scaring Kids. Yeah. The list goes on. Dance Gavin Dance. Bunch of bands. Bunch of bands. And so now we're tying into kind of the tail end. And now, like, punk, it feels like every avenue of emotion has been explored. And at this point, it's sort of just kind of whatever existence of rock exists, the only bit that stays in the mainstream is bands that are kind of punk inspired. Yeah. Because, like, I, I would agree. 
Yeah, because like you, you know, say what you want about metal and how like metal gets disrespected by the mainstream all the time. Yeah, because you have guys in ghost costumes singing about love and death. Yeah, sure, ghost, you're really cool and badass. But or or oh oh five fingered badass. Ghost is pretty bad. I I didn't mean to shit on ghost. Ghost is actually really cool. It's just like. Most of those bands, most of those bands ended up being like you know Five Finger Death Punch or yeah. like New Metal. New Metal basically cut off the legs of metal's evolution. Yeah, where it's like, oh, where else can we go from here? And that's when you get like kind of the second wave of grunge takeover, and you have Nickelback and uh, Breaking Benjamin and all the really like sad metal ish. Yeah. like emo bands kind of coming in um but like you think about the bands that come out now that inspire the next generation a lot of it's like the folk punk outfits from from AJJ and taking sounds from Violent Femmes or bomb the music industry with Ska and Jeff Rosenstock who is the boy I love Jeff Rosenstock um, and you get a lot of these bands that or, or fucking Titus Andronicus for fuck's sake all these bands that yeah. end up sort of like molding the sound of indie rock yeah ostensibly yeah. and so like the only other sort of things that are left over at this point we have we have third wave Ska <laughs> Which we didn't really get into that much, yeah. but um, uh, y- y- back in the '90s, you had the explosion of Mighty Mighty Boss Tones and No Doubt and Sublime, kind of bringing back ska. Yeah. So now you have Rancid taking the mainstream, but also too you have this whole other genre of bands that are very much inspired by the Special, very much inspired by Madness, but also take that energy of skate punk into it and incorporate it yeah. so you get real big fish gold finger less than jake becomes kind of the biggest deal yeah. out of them suicide machines and then even to this day like fucking three years ago even the interpreters who is a modern ska band who i really love um their song uh she's kerosene makes the top five alternative rock songs in like 2018 i know no one listens to billboard and no one listens to the radio but that's an impressive feat yeah they're they're also like mentored by tim armstrong from rancid and operation ivy so they're really cool bomb the music industry like influential to this day as being one of the seminal voices of modern punk you get a bunch of other stuff too in the early 2000s you have the New York art scene where you get like LCD sound system and the yeah, yeah, yeahs getting inspired from like the talking heads and television back from the yeah. 70s and the 80s. You get an influx in Celtic punk with Dropkick Murphys and Flogging Mollies taking inspiration from the Pogues back in the 80s. Yeah. Uh, you get folk punk, which is sort of like was kind of like the only punk that was existing from like the years 2006 to like 2011 <laughs> that yeah. I could remember was like Pat the Bunny and fucking uh, AJJ and a lot of those yeah. bands. They were inspired by the violent films from the 80s. Yeah. So a lot of these bands ended up getting influences in the mid 2000s and then the 2010s. It all kind of just divulged back to hardcore. Yeah. Hardcore kind of just took <laughs> over, like either post-hardcore or hardcore itself. Yeah. So a lot of these bands now, like I'm very happy that at the very least by the tail end of the 2010s, we were getting sort of a resurgence of post-punk. 
Yeah. So a lot of the bands I sort of love that I still listen to now, like Idols, Shame, um, I have written back here as like bands to mention here. Uh, <laughs> got Shame and Idols and the Viagra Boys who are coming out of the UK and Sweden respectively, who were very much taking like the sound of pill and the sound of like Joy Division and giving like the raw intensity. Idols very much inspired by Crass. Uh, Shame very much inspired by Pill. Um, Viagra Boys very much they're kind of their own thing, but right. they're 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 cool. They're yeah. pretty like they're taking like the swagger approach. I can get a bit of the pogues from them, but they could be anything. Uh, Australia, I didn't talk about Australian punk because I don't want to be here for seven hours. It's already been a ten hour podcast, probably with two hours, two hours and ten minutes. <sighs> I'm the longest episode yes, yet. Yes, you are. Hell yeah, I am sorry, but. <laughs> Um, you get you, well, it was an ambitious undertaking dude, to say the uh, least. Uh, like, <laughs> I had a zine filled with shit to have to write, but um, you also have Australian punk, you have like the Saints were big back in the 70s, and then they kind of like Australian punk kind of existed, but it wasn't really a big thing. Yeah. By the mid to late 2010s, you were getting the chats. You were getting uh, King Gizzard and the Electric Lizard, who was more like rock metal, yeah. but they very much took inspiration from post-punk. Um, you have uh, Omli, Omli, I think her name is, and the Sniffers, who are like a pub rock punk band. Some of the most intense live shows I've seen, yeah. like their lead singer, who's like a five foot four, maybe ninety pound woman, jumping into the crowd <laughs> with the microphone still as people are hold- like, it's nuts, it's nuts shit. Um, Canada, you've got Pup, our boys Pup, oh, much yes. love to Pup. Um, I can't go without mentioning this. This is a shout out to Kevin Hall, who's if he's even watching, but Spanish love songs. Yeah. He love got Spanish me into them. Songs. They're fantastic. Yeah. Awesome little band. And then, you know, in the hardcore front, you've got Turnstile, you've got Knocked Loose, yeah. you've got Code Orange, who are both kind of more metal inspired, yeah. but very much so. Like you got like, hardcore still back. Hardcore still exists. Yeah. Uh, this is hardcore. It's an annual festival in Philly, I believe. Philly. Um, where they just have like every hardcore band that ever existed yeah. ever perform there. Like Civ and Gorilla Biscuits have played there, I want to say five or six times. <laughs> I think one year they had the Circle Jerks perform, which made me cry that I missed that. Mm. But um, you have like, you know, it's it's keeping hardcore alive. Yeah. A lot of these bands, I'm not even bringing up like the punk influences in Cambodia in Bolivia, in Peru, in Venezuela. Like, punk has finally, like, reached out to all these countries that, like, we fucked over. Yeah. But are, are in, like, poverty-stricken. Yeah. They're like, yeah, no, fuck yeah, punk rock. And so they're building movements out there. So yeah. there's Cambodian punk, there's Peruvian punk, there's Ecuadorian punk, for yeah. fuck's sake. Everywhere, pretty much. Punk it, is dominated. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's taken it's taken its only logical course uh, with the, of course the death of punk rock when uh, Green Day uh, went to Broadway, and now there's a Green Day Broadway show, which was the knife 
in <laughs> the heart of punk rock. Would you would you call that the death of punk, or would you just call it the jumping no. the shark it, moment? It, it, I would call yeah. it it's definitely jumping. Punk shark. rock is not anywhere where there's a kid who wants to tell you something. Like in in a way, the the term punk is not so much the music. Yeah, really. Uh, I mean, people could say a lot of hip hop roots are very punk rock. Yeah, you know, it's very DIY. It's very. I have something to say. You need to hear it. I'm gonna be aggressive and bombastic with it. You know, and that's why I like punk just because it's people doing something. I always say you got to do something. Yeah, it's not like me like doing comedies because I'm just want to do something. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. People need to do things. I think punk rock gave a lot of people an opportunity to take their life in their own hands. And and give themselves a voice. Yeah. Very much. You mentioned hip hop. I mean, the current SoundCloud scene is so fucking DIY. Yeah. Like Chance the Rapper. Say what you want about his technical skill. Acid Rap's a great album. His newest one was bad, The Big Day or whatever. But um he was all himself. Yeah. He's never signed to a major record label. He won Grammys by himself mm -hmm. doing his own production work. What's more fucking punk rock than that? Yeah. What's more punk rock than Little Pump <laughs> becoming a millionaire off of goddamn releasing a SoundCloud hit? Yeah. Like, it's punk. It's punk fucking yeah. energy through and through. Yeah. They even have the face tattoos. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. They have the face tattoo and the and the crippling crippling drug addiction. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just like early punk rock. All comes full circle. Yeah. History is doomed to repeat itself. Yes, it is. Um so that's pretty much modern day. That's yeah, that's basically it. Yeah. We got we got through all of it except for the fifties, because who gives a shit about Chuck yeah. Goddamn Barry? <laughs> <laughs> so, but that's it. Yeah. We did it. Um, all right. I'm sorry I took so much time, but... It's, it's quite all right. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Now we know. Now we know. The shooting star right here. Um, the more you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anything you want to plug? Um, I would I would plug my my former podcast, Foul Housemates. At the moment, we are on an indefinite hiatus. Um, I would say, yeah, that's that's a that's an off the podcast uh, <laughs> conversation. But um, I'm working on another podcast at the moment. I'm working on another thing, and also you could follow me on Instagram as always. Uh, any Liam in the world. Uh, it's kind of a cheesy name, but that's because I made it when I was, I don't know, like 18. Like I was <laughs> I was just trying to have some sort of communication with people. But like you can follow me there. Follow me on Twitter at Real Ultra Liam. Uh, that's also a really terrible name. I, <laughs> I need to find a way to change it. Help me. Um, and I have a Twitch account, which I barely use, but I'm going to try to. But um as soon as I get the my other podcast project off the ground, it's going to be a bad movie podcast. Oh, nice. So yeah, it's going to be a fun a fun time, a yeah. comedy movie podcast <laughs> about some of the worst movies ever released. Yeah, movies so bad they tanked fucking companies and killed people and Ooh. ruined relationships. <laughs> and, oh, it's it's going to be great. Yeah. So. Uh, I hope to have you on, Tim. Yeah, it'll yeah. be a fun time. Uh, I I know nothing about movies. As but it you guys learned <laughs> during Pal House. You guys were like, yeah, we're going to talk about horror movies. I was like, I don't watch them. I don't watch any. <laughs> uh, sorry. I was like, Jeepers Creepers? I saw that. <laughs> I think. Yeah. Uh, but uh, that's my plugs. All right. Very good. So this has been Time to Teach Tim. Uh, 
I got a show March 25th at Scotty's Comedy Cove. I'm sorry. Hit me up for tickets. <laughs> it's going to be a good time. Say what you want. It'll be fun. All right, play us out, Tim. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Tim's kind of dumb. Let's help him get smart. It's time to teach Tim stuff.